I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful by sling and stone. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Happy Mock Draft Monday. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're back. We're live on YouTube. We're over in audio podcast land. More mock draft time, Sam. Yep. Mine this time. It's yours. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to give it all away, but it is uh, already posted over at pff.com. pff.com where the little write-ups are. So obviously I have pre-done this a little bit using the uh, PFF mock draft simulator. pff.com forward slash mock if you want to follow along. Um, We need to set the rules though. You know? Yeah, I need the rules. Because obviously rules. you're going to hate the mock, but the key is knowing how to hate it. Like, yes. What is the way it's wrong? So the rules for this mock, it's what I would do if I was the general manager. Oh, it is? Or the person in charge for each one of these picks. Now, I'm the general manager for all 32 teams, right? So this became problematic when I wanted to make trades because I had to like both sides of the trade. I couldn't just be like, well, I want to get out of this pot. Let's bounce. And then be stuck with a pick later that I didn't, I, I wouldn't have given that up. So I had to make a trade in situations where they came up where I'm like, no, I would, both sides, this makes sense, right? And I also couldn't like sort of play the odds, being like, oh, everyone else loves this guy, so let's, you know, do this because I'm the other GM. So that became kind of problematic. And if you're, tra- if you're sort of playing the game, being like, well, I wouldn't draft this guy, but I know everybody else would. Well, everybody else is me, so that doesn't really work. But the other little modifier is it's also me as general manager, sort of within the constraints of each individual team, right? So, like, I get dumped on the Carolina roster. I'm now in charge of Carolina's draft strategy, but you're aware of what's taken place before you got there. They've traded up. They've invested a lot to get to number one. That's the kind of context you're, you're in charge with. Yeah, I mean, I, I had um, similar issues last week with my mock where I said, it's me as GM. If I keep picking all my favorite players, at some point I'm going to run out of players that I really like. Where in mm. reality, the NFL is going to, you know, other GMs are going to pick players that aren't as high on my board and I'm going to feel good at pick 20, maybe getting my 10th best player or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's challenging when you do it as GM of all 32 teams. So it's good to get the ground rules out there right now. 
It's also good to know that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves in this mock draft, Western and Southern is helping to advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. And we thank Western and Southern for the Western and Southern studio right here where we're live on YouTube. Tell your friends, come trash Sam's mock draft. Let's mm, get into mm-hmm. it. You ready to go? Sure. So as I said, it's over at pff.com. We're going to try. Should we put a time limit on our QB discussion here? How are we going to do that? Yeah, I don't think it'll take too long. We can certainly get through the first pick or two reasonably quickly. Then there's probably a discussion. All right. We're allowed to discuss. All right. Starting right at the top, the Carolina Panthers. We've seen Bryce Young. We've seen C.J. Stroud. But Sam, your number one overall pick for the Carolina Panthers is? I went with Anthony Richardson. Now, that it's what you flies, would do. Yeah, that flies in the face of everything I've been saying so far this draft process. Which That's is great. That Bryce Young, yourself. Bryce Young is the best quarterback prospect in this draft. I still believe that to be true. I think Bryce Young is the best prospect of this draft. However, where the context matters is that Carolina has made this big swing. They've already drafted or already traded from number nine to number one. They need to swing for the fences. And as much as I think Young is the best prospect, I think Richardson is the biggest swing. Like, he's the potential home run. He is the guy that I think probably does have the highest ceiling. Um, I My concern with Bryce Young, I think he's the best quarterback. But the size thing, I don't think it's going to stop him being a good NFL player. I do, however, have at least a worry or a concern or the potential is there that it stops him being a great one like we've seen already quarterbacks very short quarterbacks and it's a very small sample size very short quarterbacks we're probably talking about two Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield Drew Brees is six foot that doesn't count if you're 5'10 it's a different world than six foot when you're talking about trying to see over or see between giant six foot five behemoths in front of you so you're probably talking about those two guys and those two guys have had issues playing the game in a conventional manner they have to do it in a different way and I just you know the Kyler Murray seems to have hit a plateau and now declined um Russell Wilson for his entire career basically no matter how well he was playing it's like why have we not where's the extra couple of percent that we think is there and we thought it was the coaching and it turns out the coaching might have been the only thing propping him up to where he was so my only concern is are we limited to a good NFL quarterback with Bryce Young and if he becomes a good NFL quarterback, is that enough, given where Carolina traded from and what they want to achieve here? If you take a swing at Richardson and you, you fix his accuracy, there is this, like, I mean, Josh Allen's a, it's, it's like comparing people to Aaron Donald. It's kind of unfair because he's a one-of-one one sort of reclamation project. But if you do manage to get his mechanics working and get him 10% more accurate, you have created something that is unparalleled in the NFL in terms of potential. I think that's worth the swing. People will forgive that, you know? Whereas if you you draft Bryce Young, you get a capable starter, but it's not enough to take you where you want to go. You're going to get fired anyway. So what the hell? If you're going to get fired when you screw it up, swing for the fences. So as GM of the Panthers, who has just traded up, right, you're sitting in that seat. You're Mm -hmm. saying, even though I like Bryce Young better, 
you do buy into this Anthony Richardson's potentials higher. You're buying into that. I wouldn't if I didn't think he was a capable quarterback in terms of reading defenses, um, going through a progression, working a pocket. Like, I think he's good at that stuff. He's just inaccurate. And I think when you're that inaccurate, it probably is a mechanical problem with your motion, which we've already seen can be addressed with private coaching, with whatever. I, I think there's a world where Richardson can get significantly more accurate. The, uh, the athleticism that Richardson, Richardson shows in the pocket makes me think it's possible. Like mm-hmm. He's just really athletic. When, when it looks right, it's good. Um, I'm going to con- – you know, I contradict myself too when people are like, this guy has good mechanics. He's just inaccurate. It's like, well, the whole point of mechanics is to be accurate yeah. and to throw with proper velocity. That's not good mechanics. Um, but when, he, when, it, when it looks right, I could, see, I could see Richardson figuring it out a little bit more. The other thing too, it's not just, as we've said – Fixing the accuracy, it's the other stuff that Richardson brings to the table, mitigates the lack of accuracy, right? Creates more open throws in the whole deal. So you're going Richardson. Yeah. Number one for the Panthers. And that puts Bryce Young at number two. Is that right? Yes. For the Texans? Yeah, yeah. At that point where you've passed on, um, when Richardson has been taken, you passed on Bryce Young. For the Texans, Bryce Young is the slam dunk answer because Richardson is a home run swing. Might not work out, but I think it's the biggest payoff potential. Um, after that, I think Bryce Young is just clearly the best quarterback prospect. So that becomes a no-brainer. Houston takes by far the best prospect. Um, as much as we've talked about Bryce Young at one, and so they're, you know, they're, it's pretty well divided here. The NFL always does a good job of keeping, keeping us in suspense as to who the number one overall pick is going to be. There are some people that think it's C.J. Stroud. There are some people that think it's Bryce Young. But there's a realistic enough chance that the Texans will have their option of Bryce Young. If they will be able to take him if they want. I would love to see Bryce Young in that offense with our friend Bobby with the with the Shanahan scheme and yeah. all that stuff. I could see Bryce Young succeeding in uh, in a Shanahan tree, right? Sure. So this is a realistic option, even though you and I have always said, yeah, we think Bryce Young's the best quarterback. We think that's where the Panthers should lean. By the way, going back to the Richardson thing, as we, a few weeks ago, I remember there was Thomas Davis saying he thinks there are people in the building that love Anthony Richardson and everything. I don't know if it ends up potentially happening, um, but technically it's still on the table. And uh, these are Sam's picks. These are your picks right now. One thing I need to correct you on, Russell Wilson was a high-end quarterback. I don't think he hit – I don't think Russell Wilson had a limited ceiling. He hit a pretty high ceiling. He was high-end, but there was always a feeling of there's more – he never got into that echelon of – you know, for for the period where he was at his best, it was, you know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. He never hit that category. No, but that's but that's not a height thing. That's like uh, Matt Ryan has the same thing. Like Matt Ryan never well, got into know, that category. Big Ben never got into that category. I mean, Roethlisberger maybe got there a season or two. Matt Ryan got there in a season. Uh, how do you know it wasn't a height thing? Because. Other, there's other quarterbacks without a height issue. Dak Prescott's never gotten those there, are right? Not, it's the same. But those are not – that's not a reason it isn't. That, like, the fact that It's other, not a reason it is. I didn't ever say it was. But I, there are – Russell Wilson has always played the game in a way that is different from all those other guys. And there has always been a feeling that Wilson – there was more potential there than was realized. And for years that was explained away as, well, the Seahawks just aren't letting Russ cook. You know, that's the problem here. And we cycled through a bunch of offense coordinators trying to get the one that could unlock the final 5% to turn him into the quarterback that we believe he is. And then eventually that stopped happening. They got rid of him, and then he was terrible last year. 
So right now it looks like the limiting factor has been Russell Wilson rather than the other issues. Yeah, maybe. I, we don't have time for this. Agree to disagree. That's like saying uh, 10 years later, uh, scouts knew Antonio Brown was a problem. I mean, and I don't showed think it up is. 10 years into his career. I think it's just simply saying that the, the limiting factor on Russell Wilson has been Russell Wilson. That part, I think, is becoming fairly inarguable. And then the question is, was it height-related? And we know he's always targeted the middle of the field differently. Yeah, there are, there are definitely height-related limitations to Russell Wilson's game. That part's fair. Okay. All right. <clears throat> What's happening now? We've got Anthony Richardson. We have Bryce yeah. Young. What's <clears throat> next? So, two quarterbacks gone, number one, two. Now you have the Colts sitting there at four. Arizona's at three. They don't want to take a uh, – they're obviously not taking a quarterback. They don't really want to sit there at three and take a defensive player. They want to trade back. The problem for them is the only person really interested in trading at this point was Indianapolis, who just don't want to get left with the last quarterback on the shelf, you know, the last turkey in the shop. So the Colts are the only offer on the table. They jump up from four to three just to secure their guy. And their guy in this situation is Will Levis. Now, Colts are coming up to get Will Levis. Number one, this is what I would do. But number two, they also sent like the entire farm to go watch Will Levis at his pro day. Now, you could argue that's because it's quite a short trip. It's a short trip. Reasonable. Um, but they sent a lot of people to Will Levis's pro day. Kind of like there's, you're getting the same kind of vibes that people got from Carolina at C.J. Stroud's pro day, you know, where everyone's happy, everyone's loving life. Better handshakes. They had better handshakes. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I, look, we've had this conversation many times. I think Levis, I think he's a better quarterback prospect. His last season was bad. The year before that, though. With a better supporting cast and a better offense and a, an NFL system, that's where you started to see real NFL potential in Will Levis. And I think that situation in Indianapolis makes sense for him. So the Colts jumping up one spot is entirely reasonable. I mean, we've seen that several times in the past where teams have jumped one spot ahead just to make sure they get their guy. To be fair, the last time I could think of it didn't go well because the Bears got Trubisky. Um but it happens. You know what I mean? So for, so, for so the idea here, for if you're the Colts, you're going to go from four to three just to make sure that a team like the Falcons, the Raiders, the Titans, who have been rumored to go to three in yeah. your division, just to you want to make sure jumped. that no one else is trading up. Yeah. You just don't want to get jumped and be left with QB4, who might not be your guy. So you jump up, and for Arizona, they'll take any deal that's on the table. And if this is the best one that's on the table, this is the one they take. And this is in line with your QB rankings other than, I mean, the Price Young, Anthony Richardson, you know, those guys going out of order. But you do like, of the two left on the board, you do like Will Levis better than um, C.J. Stroud. Yeah. So most of the time you'll see these picks fall in line with my rankings. But there are some times where I think the situation or the circumstances around it, like Carolina, makes sense to go against the rankings to shoot for greater potential or better fit in a system or whatever it is risk appetite yeah as I've i said. mean that well that's different that, risk appetite risk appetite or you know scheme fit or whatever it is so you're going levis mm -hmm. at three now colts have traded up cardinals trade down one i mean i think this is a no-brainer yeah. for the cardinals this is what you want trade down and still get yeah will anderson i think the cardinals would love to trade further if there was a deal on the table if they can only get down one spot you know, they pick up an extra pick here and they still get Will Anderson. It's free money. It's a profit. So they grab Will Anderson at number four. I, yeah, no brainer. This is as simple as the uh, Bryce Young at two deal. You just, 
you run the card in. So this is where it kind of like fa- falls in line a little bit. We've talked a little bit about Arizona and Will Anderson. I, I think Will Anderson's the best uh, the best prospect in this draft for non-quarterbacks. I think that is the the safe, not only the safest play, but the best play for Arizona. And then you do something else that I think I probably did last week. Seattle Seahawks taking Jalen Carter, mm-hmm. interior defensive lineman for Georgia. So he's going to Seattle at five. So those back-to-back picks, those are the two guys along the defensive line that we've said, hey, those those are the two best players. It's not a blue-chip heavy draft. Assuming Jalen Carter checks out, every, you know, ticks all the boxes off the field, you're getting the other blue-chip defensive player here if you're Yeah, Seattle. that's the thing. That That's the question. Like, you can make a very good argument that Jalen Carter on a big board that's just looking at football ability is the number one player in this entire draft. So it's all down to your guys doing background. Your It's all the stuff we don't have access to. How he's doing in the meeting room, what happens when you talk to him, what are your guys giving you in background in terms of you know researching his entire life in Georgia, uh, all this kind of stuff. Like If that checks out, and who the hell knows from this seat, then you, you, you draft him. You draft him and you're happy because he's arguably the best player in the entire draft. If it doesn't, you take him off your board or you don't touch him for like a round or two or whatever. But like, you know, these are, you have to assume at some point when you're doing a mock draft, like, I don't know, let's say it checks out. Let's pretend it checks six. out. So uh, there is a real world scenario where Jalen Carter drops. Um, remember Laramie Tunsil a few years back yeah. was going to go probably top five. He's got the gas mask video, comes out right before the draft. What a crazy night that was. Yes. That was my first night, I think, live blogging the draft, like really getting into it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? It was the Tunsil thing that broke like just before the draft. There was the Lyle Collins thing where he's all of a sudden a person of interest in a murder inquiry right right before the draft. And then he slips slips so far. Out of the draft. Well, he slips so far that his own like camp, his agents are like, don't draft him now. We don't want it. Don't yeah. touch him. We we will not sign for anyone that drafts us. We now want the ability to go choose our destination. I said at the time the Carter thing happened, like the, one of the big differences between those situations and this one is the time span involved. Like this was going to have weeks to work its way out. And he's already resolved the thing. Did you see that? I didn't even notice that until the other day. Like he's already pled guilty to or pled no contest, I think, to like the misdemeanors, paid his fine, like we're done. We've already settled this this legal issue. So that part has had the chance, like it's already worked its way through the process. Now there's other stuff and, you know, a pro day workout that was apparently crap. There's talk that he won't even talk to teams, won't go to a visit outside of the top 10 because he knows he's going in the top 10. This has not been the cleanest pre-draft process. That part's process ridiculous because it's like t- those teams can trade up into the top ten. Anyway, that's anyway. Um, the point I was going to make is there's a there is a realistic chance Jalen Carter is there at you know at ten or fifteen. Like there there might be teams that don't want to touch him, but um, for this case, in this case, you're taking him at five for the Seattle Seahawks. I meant to follow up and say, what's it like? So you're the, when you were the GM of the Colts a couple picks ago. Hmm. What's it like working for Jim Irsay? What was your interview like? How'd you? How'd you secure the seat with Jim? I whooped his ass on Madden. It was great fun. Yeah. 12-hour Madden session. Just owned him. Just franchise mode? You just talk about, like, just go through all your off-season moves? Well, as we said, he he plays the, uh, you know, the 2004 Colts. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, got a, I got stuck with the current roster. If it's 04, you should grab Vic. You got to grab 04 Vic. Play with him. Just run around and, mm. you know, cheat the game, man. That's yeah. What, that's, what the, that's what kids did back then. Anyway. Uh, we're up to pick number six. Flying. So, the, yeah, we are. Detroit Lions are yeah. on the clock, Sam. Yeah, you think. 
Not in this I mock. I would think that's who that's who has the pick. Yeah. Number six. Not in my mock, sir. What has happened? Well, What's going on? With three quarterbacks off the board and with the surprise of CJ Stroud being the guy to fall, as opposed to being taken number one overall, all of a sudden QB needy teams are interested. And one particular QB needy team, the Tennessee Titans, decides to put a package together, jump from number eleven all the way to number six. Detroit is only too happy to trade down at this spot. And the Tennessee Titans draft C.J. Stroud as their quarterback in the future. Wow. Did, did you put the package together? Did you, or did you just, you I just did. know what happens? I don't remember 100% what it was. But <clears throat> so I, Tennessee's at 11. I made, so what I did is when I made these trades, I used a couple of different charts. I made sure that they checked out and put them together and then, like, didn't record them. I trust you. Because people will whinge. People will complain. Whatever it is. That'll never happen. The tra- yeah, the trade is unreasonable. This is way too much. This is way too little. So I just kind of made sure it was feasible and then decided to keep it behind, uh, you know, behind closed doors under wraps. The people who whinge, your, your words, at, uh, at mock drafts, do they do the same thing on draft night? Probably. Because on draft night. This would never happen. It's draft a- night looks like the worst mock ever. Like, oh, I never expected <laughs> this guy to go to 10. This guy will never go at 10. Yeah. I can't wait. We're going to do our draft bets show. Um, should we do that? Do you want to do that tomorrow? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so tomorrow we'll tweet. We got we got to do a lot of uh, social mediaing here <laughs> to make sure people are ready. Well, we got some extra time for emails. Eli's on the case already. Get yeah, him, tell him the people out. we're going to take all of your draft bets, and it need, but the the draft bets need to be very definitive. Not like this guy. This guy's definitely not going to the Bengals or something like that. You right. know what I mean? It's and in particular, like it's got to be this guy will not drop out of the top ten. This guy's definitely going in the top ten. This guy's definitely a first rounder. This guy's not. Whatever and, it is. And the best of these, remember, are like things to call us out for being crazy about certain things, right? Like the Tyree Wilson thing. And I'm, you know, th- I'm willing to I'm willing to change this a little bit. So I okay. think it's I think it's not so much. What do we feel strongly about? Because we're not into predicting the draft. Right. I'm willing to just take okay. strong stances, okay. even if I agree with them. Like if someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm with you guys. Tyree Wilson is falling out of the top 15. I might say, you put your name on the line. I'm in agreement. It's not so much a bet. It's like, we'll put a PFF plus on the line for, for right. that person that takes a strong stance. Yeah. Strong stances that come true on so, draft night. Contact us. NFL podcast at BFF.com is the email to send in. We have a spreadsheet already that we can, I think duplicate and create the, the draft version of it. Um, what your strong takes for the draft, things that would never happen or things that will absolutely happen throughout the bets. We will uh, select the best ones on tomorrow's show and then we'll, uh, we'll all have a little bit of skin in the game. All right, so we just did our, our I, cornerback rankings. I, I do know. like the imagery, by the way, though, of these people just sitting there like, you know, the – what's the – the doon 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 Trade, you know, yeah. the whatever is trade, and people are just screaming at the TV. That would never happen. That would never happen. It's literally happening right Never. Now. It's in front of you. It's, it's occurring. Lance Erline, you idiot. That'll never happen on draft night. Come on. All right, so the Titans trade up. Yeah. From 11 to 6. Mm-hmm. For C.J. Stroud. Yeah, so these... So you like Stroud now. There's three trades in this draft. Uh, spoiler alert, one of them's upcoming. But there are three trades, and they're all, I think, opportunistic trades, which I think is where you're going to see the ones on draft night take place. They're not necessarily pre-planned. We're going to jump from here to here to get this to happen. It's the draft is unfolding in a certain way that wasn't necessarily anticipated, and that, that's what's going to spur action. So for Tennessee, 
I don't think they would have had any realistic expectation heading into this that C.J. Stroud would be there available as low as six. And if that's their guy, boom, they're going to they're gonna jump. So Tennessee's jumping up to six to grab C.J. Stroud. So you're probably you're, – if you're Detroit, you're obviously adding a few extra picks. We've, we just mentioned in our, in our mind, I think you and I both agree, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter – We'll call those blue-chip defensive players. You and I both have Devin Witherspoon as our top corner. Mm -hmm. Just had our cornerback rankings show last week. I'm actually, by the way, now, I'm willing to push him into that conversation of blue-chip. Okay. I think Witherspoon is now, along with Anderson and Carter, a blue-chip defensive prospect. Okay, so we're talking about three blue-chips and four quarterbacks, right? Like those. That's like your top seven. And a blue-chip running back, which doesn't count the same. No, it doesn't. No other blue-chip offensive players, we'll say. Mm -hmm. So... If you're Detroit, you're going through this, right? You're willing to take those extra picks. You're okay with the drop-off because Devin Witherspoon would be a great pick. We've all mocked him to Detroit at six. Yeah. You're willing to give up Devin Witherspoon, mm-hmm. drop down to 11. Maybe it's the net, the other corners or whoever else you're looking at at 11. You're okay to give that up. There's going to be extra picks involved. I'm assuming it's like a second or a third, right, with I think Tennessee. they picked up a couple of extra picks here. Yeah. I can't remember. Definitely a second. There's another pick involved in, as well. They, they, they get a reasonable haul to make this happen. I think because of that, you're not loving the value to uh, at six for a corner, Devin Witherspoon at six, though I think it's fine. Um, I think you're willing to give that up and play the board, like just see what how things work. The work you did in free agency means you don't need to chase that value and go, no, we have to get our guy here at six. You can wait. And if you can wait and pick up extra picks along the way, perfect. Well done by the Lions. I mean, you, you did a great job with the Lions here in this draft. Oh, people are going to hate it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. Now, so that's from a, a Lions perspective. From a Titans perspective, yep. moving from 11 to 6, it, we've talked a little bit on our show about maybe it's it's overhaul time, right? It's kind of like, let's yeah. let's reset this roster they did elements of that this offseason. Got, Taylor lewan has been released and Robert Woods. and they, They're starting to reset. Ben Jones. They've had their finger hovering over the reset button for the whole offseason. It's like, oh, do, I, do I push it? Do I leave it? This is this, – they hit it. This, they mashed the button with this pick, like this trade. They finally go, oh, look, C.J. Stroud's available. Bam, hammer on the reset button. This is the franchise reset that happens. Then they start making some more moves. They probably try and trade away a couple of guys. But they finally mash the reset button with this move. So they're willing to give up those extra picks mm-hmm. in a rebuild situation yep. to go get their quarterback. They're going to get C.J. Stroud. And uh, as the Titans GM, that you've, you've just stepped in. As the Titans GM, you're like, of course. I watched the Georgia game. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm in on C.J. Stroud. He's the guy for Tennessee. What, are we going to try to trade Ryan Tannehill here? See what uh, trade or see release? What the market yeah, looks I like? mean, we'll at this point everything's available on the roster. You know, we're going to identify a couple of key spots that we need to keep intact for the future, and so that the quarterback has somebody to throw to. But after that, everything's available. All right. How do you feel about Stroud? He's, he's QB four here. Um, give people the. The, the Cliff Notes versions on, on Stroud, your thoughts on him. I have him kind of tied with Anthony Richardson as my two, two A, two B in my quarterback rankings. You have Stroud lower. Why is that? And but but why do you still have him as a guy that you would take in the top six? I still don't love him, but I'm warming to Stroud the longer the process goes. I still have huge concerns about his play under pressure, his play outside of structure, the fact that that offense doesn't ask him to do a whole lot. Um, relative to some other guys. I just, there's a lot of issues, I think, with his game, all of which were answered in the Georgia game, but one game, you know? And 
other people will weigh that game really highly. I tend to weigh the bigger sample size more highly, particularly when the the deficiencies in the large sample size come against weaker opposition. That to me is almost more instructive than the good coming against the best opposition. I so I have concerns, but he's incredibly accurate. I think he is smart and can read a defense. I think the athleticism is has been underplayed actually in the process and within this Titans offense they might lean on that a lot more early in his career and actually you can kind of prop him up a little while while we figure out if he can develop as a, a passing quarterback and, and be the full breadth of what he needs to be so I don't love him as a prospect but I am warming to his ability the further we go and I think for Tennessee at this point you know pick a number 11 to start with you get up to six I think it's worth doing all right, so there's a big move in the draft. Titans move up to number six. Lions move down. We'll get to their pick in a minute. But the Raiders are now on the clock at seven. Where are you going with the Raiders? All four quarterbacks off the board. I know if you were Raiders GM, you'd be looking at quarterback. You're not a Jimmy Garoppolo believer. But at the same time, you just signed him, right? So- yeah, and, and by the way, the, the reason so the reason I would do this as opposed to Tennessee will do that um, is I don't think the Titans are going to be bad enough next year to be in with a shot of – Caleb Williams, Drake May, like this is as close as they're going to get to finding the next franchise quarterback in this like will we, won't we reset type of mode. I think this is the chance that they've been, that they didn't really think they had a shot at. So I don't love Stroud, but if he falls to six in your Tennessee, I'm willing to take that shot and go get him and hope that we can, that is good enough for the reset. And that puts the Raiders on the clock at number seven. Where are mm-hmm. you going with the Raiders here? So the Raiders, I, I was convinced by your argument that they are less desperate for a quarterback since they have Jimmy Garoppolo and the 11 games of a healthy Jimmy G they're going to get this year. Uh, wow. So they're not as desperate as some of these other teams that might have moved. They're going to stay there. To which point I take the blue chip. And there's one left on the defensive side, you know, since the running back doesn't count. Devin Witherspoon. I have been convinced with his 4-4-40 at his pro day that he is in the category of blue-chip defensive playmaker. Uh, he might not be as good as Sauce Gardner, but he's, he's pretty close. So you're going Witherspoon here for the Raiders. I, I, I like that. I mean, I think if, if, if the Raiders are going to be out at quarterback, they're going to be an interesting team for if, if Witherspoon, Witherspoon is available there or on the Jalen Carter drop, right? If, if Jalen Carter drops, the, the Raiders just need so much talent on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember a couple years ago when uh, Mike Mayock got in there and John Gruden got in there? It was like year two, and they said, we need playmakers on defense. They still do. Yeah. Years later, they still need well, playmakers on well, defense other than Max Crosby. It's because they missed on basically every first-round draft pick they had. Yeah, so, I mean, they're still in that in that same boat where, you know, the, the Raiders, I think they can I think they can run just, you know, their offense – can run perfectly fine, right? They've got playmakers. That they offense add, looks got like receivers. Be, they yeah. have Garoppolo now, uh, Josh McDaniels. They they have what should be a decent offense. Their whole defense, other than Max Crosby, is up in the air. There's a couple <coughs> yeah. players here and there, but I mean, it's really up in the air. So adding Devin Witherspoon would be great. I think they'll consider the Jalen Carter stuff if he drops. So I, I like this for the Raiders. I think this is not best-case scenario, but pretty close, I think, for the Raiders to get the top cornerback here at seven. Yeah, the, the, um, the Raiders' offense, I think, could actually be pretty decent. Uh, I like the, the playmakers that they have. I like the overall. I think the offensive line is solid. If Jimmy G stays healthy, you know, then it could be good. 
Uh, their defense is a mess. Like that, they need everything. I mean, they're they're one of the worst defenses from a personnel standpoint in the NFL. So anything you can add to the defense, I think, makes sense. And as I said, Witherspoon, I think, is in this blue chip category of player. That guy allowed a pass rating last season of 25. Uh, and just, I mean, we talked about it in our cornerback ranking show, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't. Um, his ability to read the game and be a step ahead of everything is wild for a cornerback. Man, I kind of like this for the Raiders. Yeah. I like that. I like that move. Um, and, and it's all because four quarterbacks go in the top six. Um, I am curious on draft night if that does actually happen. This is crazy. It'll never happen. Hmm. Will there actually be four quarterbacks that go? I, I, I tend to believe maybe it's three and somebody drops. It's, yeah, it is. Because we talked ourselves into this a couple of times in the past. Like, oh, quarterbacks always get pushed up, and then sometimes it doesn't happen. And there's definitely a scenario, multiple in fact, where like, you know, three quarterbacks go in the top four, where four quarter, where they go one, two, three, four. Like, it's, it's easily doable. But if I don't love C.J. Shroud and other people don't love Will Levis and some people are not going to love Bryce Young's size, like, it also feels easy to imagine two of them slipping. I, see, here's why I think quarterbacks could slip. I don't think people treat the quarterback position the way we discuss it, right? Because he, we've talked about the Raiders who just signed Jimmy Garoppolo as a QB needy team. But I don't know if they view that of themselves. I don't know if the Falcons really view themselves as a QB needy team. Are they really convincing themselves, of course we have to give Desmond Ritter one more year. We have to give him a shot, right? Are the, are the commanders actually thinking... Of course we have to give Sam Howell a proper shot. We would never trade up from 15 to go get QB3 or 4. We already have Sam Howell. So I don't think the teams view themselves as QB needy, even though you and I and a lot of people at PFF say if you don't have a top 8 guy, you're always QB needy. You should always be. I, mean, I don't know if the Lions think that they really need a quarterback. They have Jared Goff, right, where we would say, hey, you've got two first-round picks. Maybe use one of those on a quarterback and look to the future and, you know, take that swing while you have Goff as a bridge. So that's where I think when it comes down to draft night, there are three teams at the top who legitimately need a quarterback at, uh, you know, at two, right, two, four, two and four. Right? There's two, and then I don't know beyond that well I also think that um, one sorry one two and four all need a quarterback there's your three there's a chance that the fourth quarterback does drop I also think that we tend to view it uh as if you need a quarterback you need to take one even if you have no confidence that that guy can be the guy right so my pick of Richardson at number one was the ceiling he has of being a true franchise quarterback home run hit unique dude it can be amazing. And then Bryce Young, I think, is the next guy that has the best shot of doing that based off complete opposite traits, but like those kinds of things. Do I think that there's a world where Will Levis or C.J. Stroud can become an elite NFL quarterback? Probably not. So if you don't think there's a chance that those guys can be that, then you just why would you take them at all? So I think there's a lot of NFL teams view it through that lens of does this guy have like that grading system you always see, you know, this guy's a 6.3. Is these abstract numbers between one and ten somewhere, or one and seven, or whatever it is? Weird scale, but they sort of specifically explain those as you know, high-end starter, capable starter, backup, whatever. You're not going to have a high-end grade on a couple of these guys, and if you don't think that they fit that category, then you're just in their world burning a draft pick. Like yeah. we're just setting fire to this draft pick for a guy whose ceiling is marginal NFL starter. 
Why would we do that? When the when the reality of it is, even if you think C.J. Stroud is a low-end starter, like good the, starter. Yeah, the 10% chance yeah. that you're wrong and he's on – There's you know, a percentage chance right. that he becomes elite. There's that, a percentage that. chance that he becomes a full-on bust, yeah. right? And you're playing – like and that's what people are weighing, right? And I don't know if they're proper, you know, actually weighing that, but that's what they should be weighing. But right? I think that's probably why you see quarterbacks slip to, sometimes. Is that teams work in this sort of absolute of we simply don't believe there's a chance that this guy is good enough that it makes sense. Whereas we would argue, well, look, if you don't have a quarterback, take the swing. Like, what have you got yeah. to lose? It doesn't matter if you get a starting tackle or guard anyway. And the Falcons are up on the clock here at number eight. And they're probably going to take a tackle or a guard here because I can read your mock draft at pff.com. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the pick, the first pick, actually, that I hated the spot. Like, if you're Atlanta now and the draft is falling this way and you're sitting there at eight and you need defense, no, I hate it. Because all my three blue-chip defenders, Anderson, Jalen Carter, Witherspoon, they're gone. Um, I don't love any of the other defenders enough that I'm, like, number eight overall. There's a couple of guys that I really liked, and I'm like, God, eight feels rich. Or eight eight feels rich, and the Falcons have kind of addressed that need already a little bit. You know, like Kalijah Kansi I thought about, and then I'm like, Kansi in addition to Anyamata, who they brought in a free agency, in addition to Grady Jarrett, like that's a lot of similar style defensive linemen. Do they even function together? Yeah, I love Brian Branch, and, you know, when we talked about him in the quote-unquote cornerback rankings like I think he can play all positions in a defense but I also sort of compared him to Minka Fitzpatrick who got that billing coming out who ran two-tenths almost faster in the 40 and Minka went 11 no okay it doesn't work that way right drafts are different it's just maybe a weaker draft but that that was gnawing at me I'm like can I really put Brian Branch at eight when Minka went 11 and I slower and, it's like, and a couple Falcons fans got mad at me when I gave them Brian Branch because they love Richie Grant I like that fit I do like the fit but I just could I couldn't do it at eight so in the end I was like you know what we're gonna bring in Peter Skaronsky I know we just signed our uh, we signed up one guard long term we re, we brought Caleb and Gary back maybe his future is a tackle long term but I'm pretty sure I can plug him in right away at guard and he's gonna be really really good and if I can't do anything else on defense let's make like one of these insane offenses where the offensive line is a beast like let's give whoever the hell our quarterback is Desmond Ritter or whatever else the best chance to succeed possible so I don't like it but I went with Skaronsky as the best option so he's going to slot in a guard for you yes left okay. guard so um it is interesting the way you just worded that right I mean we are we have um we have axioms here that we that we tend to believe creep back toward average we we have on the offensive line we have shirts that even say that it is interesting, though, because there's not, there's not one clean way of doing things. It's not that there's no advantage having an elite offensive line. It's just not as great as having, say, an elite receiver core, right? If you had to be elite in one spot, I would choose the receiver or my pass catchers over the offensive line. But if you're close to an elite offensive line, uh, it, it might be an interesting thing to strive for, especially if you do have a Desmond Ritter at quarterback, right? A question mark. Where can you find advantages that other teams don't have could be an angle that the Falcons take here and this by the way is a classic example of this is where being the GM for all 32 teams comes back to bite you because if I was just Atlanta's GM it's like oh trade out of this spot hate it but yeah, of course somebody's got to want to get in there and you have the same problems now maybe somebody else would be more inclined to bring in Kalijah Kansi at eight but to the point where they trade up no 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really – I think if the draft falls like this, we've talked about the pivot points in the draft being 7, 8, whatever it is. Every year it's 7 or 8. could be 10 or 11 in a deep draft. But once you hit that pivot point, it's tough to trade out. If you want to, right. you would say, I would love to pick at 13 or 14 and be pretty feel pretty good about that player. But the reason you want out is the reason nobody else wants to trade in. Yeah, so the same thing. Skaronsky at 8, you'd rather have him at 12, 13, or 14 if you're the Falcons, but you get him at 8. That puts the Bears up on the clock at 9. Skaronsky was a pretty common pick for the yeah. Bears, at least for me and for others. So where are you going with the Bears here at 9? Yeah, Skaronsky's gone. Um, I don't love the next offensive line options for them. I don't think that they make a ton of sense. You know, you're going to see if you're following along on the PFF, uh, the mock draft simulator or our big board. Um, Tyree Wilson is a name that's going to be up here for a while. Uh, he's around. You know, you could have the your pick of the wide receivers. Um, I think Elijah Kansi on this defensive line, though, is the pick. Like, D-line is still a huge need for the Bears. I think Kansi is the best available defensive lineman. I love what he can do, even if he becomes, you know, even if he remains or is always a one-dimensional player. I think that one dimension is so valuable, and he's really good at it. I think Kansi is, is worth a top-10 draft pick. The next uh, Tommy Harris here? The next Tommy Harris. For the Bears? What a throwback. A little Tommy Harris comp? Don't what hate year, it. What year did he get drafted? Was he like 04, 03, 04? Yeah. I love watching old drafts around this time. I'm going to go back to my Tommy 04 Harris, drafts. Junior now. You know how old he is? Uh, 41. No, he's younger than we are. No, 37. 39. 39. Tommy. 2004, yeah. So 04 draft. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't worked my way through the entire 04 draft. Can't wait to hear what they say about Tommy Harris when I get there. The Eli Your Manning, Robert Gallery. Disruptor. Robert Gallery, yeah, so I did get to that part of the draft. Robert Gallery, 10-year starter, safest player in the draft. Sean Andrews. Where'd he go? One pick, uh, two picks behind, 16. Went, 16. Where did Harris go? Uh, 14. At 14. So there you go. Next. That's a uh, good draft. Who was the other guy? Oh, Henry Melton was the other guy that the Henry Bears had. Melton. You're under Former running back, Henry Melton, turned <laughs> undersized defensive tackle that became an interior disruptor for the Bears. That was a good draft, 2004. Igor Olshansky. Was he in the first? No, second. Yeah. Chargers? Yeah. Yeah. San Diego Chargers. San Diego Chargers. What a, I mean, so much drama there. Eli Manning was just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to the Chargers. Not going to do not it. doing it. I don't know why. You know, he was, he was very upset. Anyway, Kalaja Kansi going to the Bears at nine to be the next Tommy Harris. Yes, Ed Oliver is probably the more love reasonable Look, comp here. I, I love Kansi. Yeah, Ed Oliver is a better comp. And even Ed, Ed Oliver is not a great comp either because they're like the opposite player. Uh, they're very physically, they're the same effectively. But Ed Oliver was not a good pass rusher in college. Uh, Canty is an excellent pass rusher. We, we explained a little bit of that away, though, right? Ed, Ed Oliver was used as a zero tech, yeah. nose tackle. But it might have just college. been because he wasn't great at it. It could be. It could be. That, that is one of those things, right? When you say, hey, the college didn't use this player well, right. is it because be a they reason just for that. square peg, round hole, you, yeah. know, you know, they just put him in the wrong spot, or they were like, actually, you're not as mm-hmm. good as you should be at this particular and the thing. thing. So Canty's problem relative to other small defensive tackles is the dude has like legit t-rex stumpy little arms right which i would care more about if there was evidence of them problematically stopping his pass rush moves but there isn't like in fact he's way ahead of the curve in terms of using his hands to defeat blocks he's not aaron donald at that who was like peerless but 
he's better than most people and he's better than most defensive tackles with significantly longer arms like he uses that jump cut extremely well he's able to get past these guys that have much longer arms than him he doesn't very often let those guys into his pads so I don't really care that his arms are short and even short relative to some of these other smaller guys you know Ed Oliver or Aaron Donald that we're talking about the tape shows that that guy is going to be a really impactful disruptive interior pass rusher and the Bears are crying out for one of those oh man I, I can't see's interesting man because Donald fell to 13 yeah. back in 2014 13, 14 13, 13 or 14, 14. Yeah. that was a he should have obviously gone top five. People knew that. They were scared of his height. Yeah. A few years later, Ed Oliver did buck that trend. Ed Oliver's been okay. He's been pretty good. I don't know if the NFL is as keen for the the 280-pound, you know, the six-foot, 280-pound defensive tackle. I don't know if the NFL wants Kalaja Kansi in the, in the top ten. I don't know if they're going to put him there. Mm-hmm. I've seen him, I think, in – I tried not to look at too much other stuff to get swayed, but I see him in the 20s. Yeah, a lot. So we might we might end up being higher on Kansi, but of course, as I mentioned, Mel Kiper was the first one to put him at the top ten. So who knows? And it's also we're in this world. We've reached the point in the draft now where you know I hated this spot for Atlanta pick before. You're in this spot now where you're going to have to take somebody. Like you might not love it, you might not think this is the best fit, but like what are your alternatives? You know, give me give me a better option here. Now you know you might argue one, but I don't think that there's a better option for Chicago than Kalijah Kansi which is obviously why I drafted him here. Not to my quick quick point here. This is also the point in the draft. We saw Minnesota trade from tw- 12 last year to 30. This is where some other some really analytically inclined teams are looking at the draft, they're they're factoring in contract value and everything and saying the drop off from players just on-field performance between 10 and 30 is not all that drastic in certain drafts. In other drafts, I think they might be saying, hey, you can get Micah Parsons here, right? Mm-hmm. It might be worth it at top in the top 10. Yeah. And but again, there's like, a, this feels like one of those drafts where the drop-off between 12 and 30 is not drastic. And when you factor in the contract value and how much more you're paying, there's a lot of teams that are going to want to trade down here. Yes. I don't know if there's going to be trade partners to come up, but there's always a couple teams, right? There's always a Saints. There's always a team that likes to be really aggressive. So I think if we were GMs here, we'd be absolutely looking to, yeah, to make like a trade down the here. next half to like half a dozen teams in the next 10 or whatever are going to be looking to trade back but you're going to need a trade partner for that to happen and i never found one you never found one because no. you're the other gm right. uh eagles at 10 everybody's giving them defensive line where are you going here i went with your guy brian branch um i haven't seen this yet and i love it i mean chauncey gardner johnson's out and brian right yeah he's out yeah he's in detroit it, brian branch in as a replacement it wouldn't take a lot for you to convince me that Brian Branch belongs in the blue chip conversation of defensive players. Um, if he ran, you know, a tenth of a second faster in the 40, which sounds stupid, but is maybe matters. If he ran just a little bit faster, I think I'd be sold. But that guy is good at everything. He technically played the slot, but it was, it's this weird role that doesn't really exist in the NFL. But the closest it came to existing was – is Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who the Eagles had. Now, they moved him from the slot to safety a little bit. But the point being, Branch just brings that kind of versatility and, like, true versatility of being able to do them both well as opposed to just doing them badly in different spots. This is a team that expects to be playing in February. And in February, you might need to move a defensive back from corner to safety or back again or somebody to the slot that isn't supposed to be there, whatever, 
Brian Branch being added to your secondary gives you a lot of options, gives you a lot of plans B, C, D, and E. And that's, I think, very valuable for a team that expects to be playing at the sharp end of the season. In before, people tell me how he would never do this, how he only takes the big boys in the first round. And there's a historical precedent there. Precedent, uh, Howie Roseman's going to take your took uh, took Jordan Davis last year, defensive tackle. He takes offensive linemen. He takes edge defenders. Uh, this would be a little bit different going to the defensive backfield for the Eagles. But I think to your point, slot and safety are both needs for the Eagles. Branch mm-hmm. could could legitimately fill both, not at the same time. But you 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 play Tyron Matthew style, right? Tyron Matthew plays free safety on early downs, uh, steps up and and covers the slot on late downs as a zone-heavy team like Philadelphia is. Branch's instincts and all that stuff are just unbelievable. Tackling, yep. he's good, man. Yeah. I, I would take Brian Branch in the top 10, absolutely. And uh, I like this pick for the Eagles. I really do. I think he's, as I say, it wouldn't take much for you to convince me that he belongs in that blue chip conversation as well. He is so, so good at pretty much everything. Um, I genuinely think he would he would hold up fine playing every single position in your secondary. So... For a team that already has a pretty good secondary and really just needs to like build in contingency, I think that's huge. All right, so now the Lions are back up at pick 11. Mm-hmm. What are the Lions doing after trading down? So, again, didn't love this spot, but I think there's enough options that they can use it as opposed to trading back again. And same thing, like who are you going to go with trade partner-wise if you do trade back? I think they grab a corner here. Um, I think the value is there. We... Did our cornerback rankings. I love Joey Porter Jr. as the second best cornerback in this draft. And so, you know, he's obviously talked about as this, the best press man corner in the league, which sends him to teams like uh, Pittsburgh, to teams like New England. I think he's going to be good playing zone coverage as well. Like, I don't think we're talking about a, a scheme-specific player here, but... I think that upside that he brings as that guy, if he develops as a zone corner, could be amazing. And the Lions have the flexibility now that they don't need him to be amazing right away. Like they brought in Emmanuel Mosley, who can survive a year on the outside. They brought in um, plenty of help. I think that's a great gamble to take for Detroit. So ultimately, you know, going back, you, even if you love Devin Witherspoon, which you do, mm-hmm. right? You're in, the, you're in the war room. You're in the draft room here. It's pick six. I love Devin Witherspoon. I believe you, right? There's a drop-off between Devin Witherspoon and Joey Porter Jr. and yep. some of the other corners. But you're willing to take that risk because there's you'll get two or three other picks, right? You'll get two or three other players later in the draft, which, by the way, I would love to be drafting. Like, I do a lot of Rams mock drafts just to play around with it. They have so many picks. They have, like, six picks in, like, a 15-pick stretch in the hundreds. <laughs> where there's a bunch of players that I kind of like yeah. in that range. This feels like one of those drafts where you know, more picks in the 100 to 200 range, you, you should be able to find some players maybe and mm-hmm. fe- not feel better about them than the higher picks, but the, the higher picks don't have as much confidence level maybe as they should. So I love the process for the Lions if this works out. Trade down, now they're at 11, take Joey Porter Jr., and uh, we'll talk about their corners more because they're going to pick again later in the draft yeah I, I really think that this has a huge home run potential his numbers were good not great last season depending on what you looked at um, like his passer rating given up was 63 something like that but he didn't give up a touchdown all season and after that first game against Purdue and Charlie Jones 
teams basically stopped throwing the ball in his direction, like at all. He had 14 targets against Purdue in week one, and then 16 for the remainder of the season. That's combined. crazy, Joey Porter. And That's in, crazy. In the, so in the first game, the Purdue game, 14 targets, he gave up six catches for 66 yards, and had five pass breakups. So five of the 14 passes thrown his way, he broke up. And I don't know if that spurred the rest of the, the college football landscape to go, you know what, let's maybe stop throwing the ball at Joey Porter. But he had one other game where he had more than two targets. And in that game, he allowed one catch for five yards and had two pass breakups. So he was basically shut down last season. Now, I think immediately he's going to be a good man cover corner. But I think his zone skills are definitely there. And if, he, if that part of him develops, like he could be a real home run hit at corner. All right, man, that puts the Texans on the clock at 12. Remember, this is the Cleveland Browns pick, the one they got for Deshaun Watson. Yep. Texans at 12. This could be a best-case scenario. This could be the very best-case scenario for the Houston Texans. So here's where I went against my own rankings, but what I think more people would do for uh, reasons I'll explain. I went with Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver from Ohio State. He's my wide receiver two overall. He's most people's wide receiver one. The reason I think he's the pick, though, if I'm uh, Houston at this spot, is I got my quarterback. I need the biggest upgrade I can get possible at wide receiver, and I need the certainty of that because I need somebody for Bryce Young to throw to so that he does – like I don't waste his first year potentially ingrained bad habits. Like I just need the safest – biggest jump at that position I think Jordan Addison is the best wide receiver in the draft there's also more about Addison that scares me than there is about Smith and Jigba like the only concern with Smith and Jigba is is he limited to like a slot only role at the next level can he play outside is he just this slot receiver blah 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 but you know he's going to be good like you know the, the degree of certainty with which we can say that Smith and Jigbo will be a good NFL wide receiver is very high. Obviously, you know, in this world of nobody knows anything, but it's high, right? Um, the Addison thing, I think the risk is higher. Maybe he can do more, but he's also 170-something pounds who ran like a 4.49. Like these are just enough things to start to be worried about where if you're sort of chasing, it's like the distribution curves, you know? It's the degree of certainty versus how good we think he can be. I still like Addison. I, th I think there's a lot there, but I'm just a little bit more worried about what he brings. So for Houston specifically, who needs it now, like doesn't need it, you know, down the line. I need it now. I need it to work right away. I think Smith and Jigba is safer. So you're not chasing the fat tail? No, never would. As they say. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you, you chase the fat tail at uh, number one mm. with the Panthers, Anthony Richardson. Now you're, what's the opposite of the fat tail? The, the fat middle. Thin middle. Fat uh, middle of the distribution. I mean, you almost sounded like you talked yourself into Smith and Jigba as the best receiver in the draft over Addison. No, I think Addison still – I still like what he brings to the table more. I'm just more scared by it. Like, I think he has a higher bust potential than Smith and Jigba. Therefore, a higher ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Maybe even a higher baseline, but I just think that the the – the the part that terrifies you, which is what if he stinks, is higher. Yeah, no, that's all fair. I, I mean, I I would absolutely love this for the Texans. I had Bryce Young as my top quarterback, as did you, and I had Jackson Smith and Jigba as my number one receiver. You just said he was your second, 
if the Texans came out of this draft with, I mean, again, from my perspective, the guy I think is the best quarterback and the best receiver with, with two picks in the top 12, mm-hmm. taking that all day. Taking that all day. So I love this for the Texans. I do think it's a potential reality situation, right? Yeah. That the Texans, uh, this could be where it lands. They mm-hmm. could get Bryce Young at two. And they could get Jackson Smith and Jigba as the top receiver off the board here at 12. Did you hear my comp, by the way, for Addison in uh, the show with Renner? I don't, I don't think so. I think I tuned in later than that. Hmm. Sorry. Isaac Bruce. Oh, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah. Which it turns out, according to Renner, they're exactly the same size. Yeah. Uh, and they run similar 40 times. Isaac Bruce is like a 4-5 guy. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to remind you that you've used the Isaac Bruce comp before. Who did I use it before? Yeah. Who? Rashard Higgins. Higgins. Yeah. Just saying. He's going to be as good as Isaac Bruce. I'm just saying stylistically that makes sense. Yeah. Isaac Bruce was awesome, man. I mean, he was he was really good. Um, no, no, nothing against Kurt Warner or anything like that. But when we, we talk all about, like, get as many good receivers as possible, I feel like this was before I had numbers to actually study. I felt like this was just ingrained in me, right? Like you're watching the Vikings – with Jake Reed and Chris Carter, and they just add Randy Moss, it's like, oh, that's why your offense is great. And then the Rams have Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt in a legitimate deep threat number three. It was easy for me as a young football fan to be convinced that's the way to win, man. That's the way to win. The the reason, though, that I think that I like that comp is that the the things that everybody's scared about with Addison were also exactly – like they're the reason – Isaac Bruce is the reason it doesn't matter because he's good at the same things. He's good at route running. He understands defenses. He knows how to get open. And then it doesn't even matter if he won't take a hit. He'll go down like a sack of potatoes after the first down. Like that, that's why I don't care. Like he can run his 4-5. He can be 170-something pounds. He can not be the fastest guy in the world, but he's going to be open. And that's the important part. Just get open. That, that, that is the most important part. All right, man. I think we're making good time. We're about an hour in after intro and all that stuff. And we're sitting here at pick 13. Easy. Well done. Uh, Jets are on the clock here at pick 13. Where are you going? Uh, offensive line. I think this is where it starts to become value. This is where I think it just makes too much sense. So the Jets are snagging Paris Johnson Jr. I think the offensive tackle class is very tightly bunched, and you could probably sell yourself on a bunch of different players going a, a couple of different directions. Paris Johnson Jr., that's the one I went for. I think it makes sense for them. Yeah, I think this has become a pretty common pick that we've seen. Um, I think it's also worth highlighting where players are in the consensus board. Uh, again, full uh, full admission last week. Forgot how the uh, the draft mock draft simulator works. It's always the PFF board being shown, but when you use the public board, that's just for uh, mock drafting purposes. When the computer picks, the couple people on the consensus board that are not being selected by you right now, Christian Gonzalez. Cornerback from Oregon. He's six on the consensus board. Tyree Wilson is seven on the consensus board from Texas Tech. So while you're saying there's three blue-chip defensive players, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Devin Witherspoon, the consensus board has those two guys, Christian Gonzalez, Tyree Wilson, higher than Witherspoon. Uh, Paris Johnson's number 10 on the consensus board. He goes right now 13 to the Jets. Competes at right tackle. Eventually takes over at left tackle if they have to move on from Makai Becton. I think that all makes sense for the Jets. But... Do you have any explanation? People will know, but why Christian Gonzalez or Tyree Wilson are not off the board yet. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, I mean, Tyree Wilson, I just I don't like him as a prospect at all. I, he scares me a lot. And we talked about this before. I mean, you in the model... You gave him Trayvon Walker's athletic profile and still couldn't make him into a above average, you know, bus potential type of player. The, the, the production profile just isn't there. Um, it really isn't. I know he had a bunch of sacks, but if you look at pressure rate, if you look at pass rush win rate, if you look at PFF uh, pass rushing grade, which factors in sort of decisiveness of the win, all this kind of stuff, you can't make a tremendously good case that he's an impact it, edge rusher. It, Wilson did, he had one good year with a good pass rush win rate. But it's only one good year, in year five. And it's good, not great. And a lot, of, so a lot of the Tyree Wilson type prospects that he gets compared to, like Rashawn Gary, wasn't productive, but he was a great athlete. And Trayvon Walker, those guys are also younger and didn't have the opportunity. I, we also, by the way, don't know how athletic he is because he hasn't worked out yet. I, you know, he's going to have his own individual pro day at some point. But. That's the one, man. So I know, like Lance Erline is pretty uh, plugged in and talks to a lot of people, and he's put Tyree Wilson the other way. Um, higher rather mm. than lower. And Daniel Jeremiah has had mock drafts where he put Tyree Wilson above Will Anderson. Yeah. Plugged in. I think my my bold take when we do our draft show tomorrow, draft bets, is going to be because Tyree Wilson hasn't worked out, I think that level of uncertainty, even though you've got junior days and all that stuff, that level of uncertainty, teams might shy away from him. Because and who hasn't worked out? Tyree Wilson. Oh, worked. Sorry, worked out as in because he hasn't put up athletic numbers. Put it doesn't have testing numbers. Yes, not Not because he hasn't panned out. Yeah, yes, because he has not had official workout numbers. Right when you're in the draft room talking about Trayvon Walker, you put the workout numbers up there and you say we've never seen this before with Tyree Wilson. They 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 know his arm length. They might have some some yeah. testing numbers from previous years and all. They can estimate them. You've got on-field athleticism and all that stuff. But I feel like ultimately I'm going to make a bet that he's going to drop. I mean, I think he will work out, and will, but like you're going to need those numbers, and they're going to need to be pretty special for you to convince anybody that he should go He's, he's that not going to test before the draft. I think he is. I think he's talking about having is an he? individual pro day. Coming off the foot injury and everything, yeah. we'll see. But I, but my point being, I think you need that. I don't think you can make the case otherwise that he belongs to be particularly high in this draft if you can't point to him and say this guy's a, an absolute freak show of an athlete. Like I think he has a worse profile than uh, somebody like Miles Murphy who has worked out and shown pretty impressive workout numbers at that size. Like I, I don't know. I don't quite get the Tyree Wilson thing. So he's he's falling, and maybe falling for a while. All right, so that puts the Patriots up on the board at number 14. Where are you going with the Patriots here at 14? Um, yeah, interesting spot. A lot of people have been giving them Joey Porter Jr. He went a few picks before to uh, the, the Detroit Lions. Um, I still think, though, they're probably invested in the corner position if they can. I think Deontay Banks might have the second best chops in terms of man cover skills in this draft class. Like, just his athleticism, his ability to move with people – his ability to move, period. Um, I think he's got real man cover skills and fits this idea of New England probably wanting to go back in that direction. 
Yeah, so Banks is interesting, man. I, I'm so he is he's my own like polarizing prospect. We talk about polarizing prospects where different people have different opinions. Yeah. Steve's brain over here is uh <laughs> is polarizing on Deontay Banks because he is he's an unbelievable athlete that shows up on the field. And I think this would be an inter- interesting pick for New England if you're talking about you have to win your division, right? Who do you compete with in your division? Deontay Banks, who runs a 4-3-5, having to cover, say, Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill from Miami, having to cover Garrett Wilson from the Jets, having to cover uh, Stephon Diggs for the Bills. Is Deontay Banks the highest, quote-unquote, upside play to cover those types of receivers, right? Like, I love Joey Porter Jr. He's super long and press coverage skills and all that stuff. But is Joey Porter Jr. actually the best fit when you have to play the Dolphins twice a year? Mm. Whereas Deontay Banks, the same way Jonathan Jones in that same scheme, similar runs 4-3-5. Jonathan Jones actually might be a good Deontay Banks type of comp. Jones is already on the Patriots. They just re-signed him. Because we're talking about a very good athlete, not the most productive college player, but they've turned him into a good NFL player there in New England. So that's where I'm back and forth on Banks, right? The production profile is not great. There's some plays where he just doesn't look all that good, and then there's other plays where it's like, man, even when technique is not good, his he's so fast. Yeah. Like he's not going to get beat deep because of his <laughs> athleticism, and it shows up on the field. He's an intriguing player, and maybe even more intriguing for New England with what they do with corners, who they have to play. I kept Banks out of my first-round mock last week. I'm, I think I like him in the 20s, but I can understand the reasoning maybe for New England at 14 where Banks makes sense. Yeah, it's it's such a strange draft. Um, basically, from this point on, you're either going to find spots where the the need fits the value and it's great, or if that doesn't wind up being the case, there's a lot of picks where you're like, God, I hate this spot, but I like I've got to pick somebody. I would love to trade down. Basically, the entirety of the draft from this point on, where that isn't the case, where need doesn't meet value and they mesh perfectly, everyone else wants to trade back, but there isn't always a trade partner because everyone else is in that world as well so yeah I I think Banks makes a lot of sense for New England I think his ability to be a man cover corner and for a guy that has all the tools in the world but is a little bit inconsistent the tapes a little bit here and and there going to a Bill Belichick defense still feels like it's a good thing for that guy all right man that puts the Packers up at 15 this is your uh, chalk pick here for the Packers you love this one more than anything where you going Packers here if I can make it happen at all I'm going to put Dalton Kincaid going to the Green Bay Packers because it's the most natural fit in the entire draft. Kincaid, tight end number one for me. Um, his ability as a pass catcher is just completely unrivaled from anybody in this class. Like He has potentially special receiving traits. And I still think there's juice to be had from that group of wide receivers that are all young. They've got Christian Watson, who showed a lot last season. They've got uh, Romeo Dobbs, who I think the – preseason hype got out of control but I think there was something behind it like he's not just a preseason wonder I think he can be a good receiver for them they had a they got Bo Melton from somewhere as well I love that dude in the draft they're like assembling the kind of receiver class that I would build on football manager where you just get all the 21 year old prospects you love and see what happens you know (laughs) Um, but you can add Kincaid to that and you don't have to sort of add like a, a wide receiver you can add a legit tight end receiving threat and let the whole lot develop together along with Jordan Love when you finally get rid of Aaron Rodgers and everything's good love it 
I love when this happens, when you get so locked in. Like, have you even contemplated anyone else for the Packers? God, no. You're not, just fully expecting this. Not as long as it's available. This happened to me that one year. I only mocked Jack Conklin to the Bills. <laughs> I was like, power scheme. They need a right tackle. Nothing else could ever happen. This is the best fit in the draft. Of course, it didn't happen. Hmm. Um, I think I only gave DeForest Buckner to the Chargers around that time, too. And then they got Joey Bosa. You know, it was like a whole... You just I mean, get locked into this thing that's going to happen. Yeah, I, so... Yes, I have. Absolutely. But you look at the alternative options, right? You've got Tyree Wilson, who we just talked about. I just don't love relative to other people. In, in my mock here, as 32 GMs, he's going to slip. The same thing with Christian Gonzalez. He's a lot of people's cornerback number two. I, I don't think he's that good. I think his tape is concerning, despite the slick movement skills and everything he brings to the table. So Plus, the Packers have corners, so I'm not chasing that need. Quentin Johnston uh, at wide receiver. I don't love him either. Like uh, Jordan Addison, who I've been talking up, sure, but you know, you kind of like the young guys you have. Jordan Addison versus Dalton Kincaid, I would skew towards the tight end, let the young guys at receiver develop. Offensive line, yeah, maybe, but I don't hate the guys we already have. I think they can function, so I'm not going to chase that need. You know, defensive line, okay, but I don't love the value, so I'm going to. I think Kincaid is the best value. That puts the Commanders up on the clock at 16. I haven't seen this pick for the Commanders yet, but where are you going here, man? Offensive line, um, Anton Harrison from Oklahoma. Uh, tough spot for Washington. Don't love it. Um, you know, they've already made additions to the offensive line. They bring in Andrew Wiley in free agency who can start at right tackle. They have Charles Leno at left tackle who is solid. Um, t- people hate solid, though, always. The fans are going to be looking to upgrade on Charles Leno as soon as humanly possible. Andrew Wiley might not even be solid, so I think if you could challenge him with somebody else, that would be fine. Wiley could also play guard, and so yeah, people were. And Samuel Cosby's been kicked inside to guard. Who knows how that's going to work? You know, overall, he was their tackle future at one point. They, it's just a it's a messy offensive line at the moment. Like I don't think that they have anybody there who would make you go. We cannot. This guy's untouchable he's our starter there we're not going to mess with that take the best offensive line prospect you think is on the board and figure out how it works later on um i think there's a after paris johnson as far as pure tackles go peter skaronsky paris johnson i think there's definitely some debate with anton harrison with yep. broderick jones with darnell wright they all have their own strengths and weaknesses i think that's going to be a style thing and, sure. uh, you know what have you seen from uh, a guy like broderick jones he's going to come up soon mm-hmm. um who has less experience versus a guy like Darnell Wright from Tennessee, who's got a four-year starter, who's a four-year starter who continued to get better, but early in his career wasn't great. Um, so you're going Harrison, who's got a pretty good pass-blocking profile here for, yeah. for the Commanders, kind of similar to Charles Leno. You're a better pass-blocker than run-blocker, and um, similar style as far as the grading profile goes. Sort of like two and a half years of, of play. All three years, though, were good pass-blocking performances good pass blocking grades uh gave up one sack last season gave up nine total pressures uh yeah i like i think he's a good prospect um he's got the athleticism I, I think they need an upgrade on that offensive line and as i say figure out how it works you know later Steelers up on the clock here at 17 also in the mix for offensive line maybe cornerback where are you going here for the Steelers yeah this is your uh, your little offensive line run um so i think Harrison goes uh, pick number 16. I think the Steelers would jump all over Broderick Jones at that point if that's the way it broke down. Um, We've talked before. Their offensive line, the concerns are a tackle. You can debate whether it's left or right tackle, but they need a tackle or they they need to start looking at 
upgrading tackle. So Broderick Jones, uh, my favorite of the remaining guys, you bring him in and uh, upgrade Dan Moore. So Broderick Jones is going to come in, play left tackle for the Steelers. He's a common mock draft pick, so that's uh, somewhat chalk there for uh, for Pittsburgh. I am intrigued. You don't love Christian Gonzalez, who's still on the board. I think uh, that would be the the Steelers fan pick. I think might yeah, be Christian Gonzalez. Right. I mean, at this point, yeah, I'm I'm lower on Tyree Wilson and Christian Gonzalez, who are currently on the board and falling. So anybody that is you know in line with the convention of thinking those guys are like edge two, cornerback two, are going to be for the next however long they're on the board, they're going to be pounding the table to take them here. All right, that puts the Lions up back up on the board at 18. What'd you do here for the Lions, Sam? Made him mad. This is where, look, I don't love Christian Gonzalez, but I'm willing to believe that the potential upside of if you can take an athlete that freaky and fluid and teach him how to play corner or get him playing better at corner, the upside is potentially through the roof. And I said a similar thing about Joey Porter at number 11. And I know they've already drafted a first-round corner, but... Stay with me for a moment and imagine a world where Jeffrey Akuda doesn't get any better because he hasn't really shown that he's going to. Where Emmanuel Mosley is, you know, a guy that the 49ers weren't exactly desperate to keep around and is just your stopgap guy. And now all of a sudden you have a team ascending who is now the favorite to win the NFC North and your cornerback situation craps out because you didn't do this. The The best, the absolute worst case here. Well, no, the worst case is they both stink. The worst case that people are sort of concerned about is, oh, look, it's red- why would you take two corners? That's redundant. What if they both work out and all of a sudden you've got two young, talented rook- or corners on rookie contracts and everything else doesn't get any better? And now you've, like, averted a potential roadblock to your, uh, your dominant future franchise by but, getting two guys. So maybe you screwed up and forgot, but you didn't. You did this on purpose? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me defend you here uh-huh. because doubling up at cornerback hits me. Hits me solid, right? I love that. I, and I enjoy that. Let me paint a picture for you, picture for you here. This offseason, the Lions signed Cameron Sutton to a multi-year contract. Then they signed uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as a slot safety hybrid. That's what he is. One-year deal. Emmanuel Mosley, yep. one-year, $6 million contract. One of my axioms, Sam, is you are not drafting for just one year, Correct. right? We are not drafting to fill the 2023 depth chart. And mm-hmm. thankfully, we don't need to. We already did it. So now I flip my depth chart forward to 2024. And here's what my cornerback room looks like. Cameron Sutton. That's it. The end? That's it. Cameron Sutton, Chase Lucas. That's it. That's all they have hmm. on the 2024 depth chart for the Detroit Lions. That's not great. Right? So now, picture Cam Sutton and then year two Christian Gonzalez and year two Joey Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. Now that's your cornerback room. Then you sprinkle in you know, your backups and your one-year flyers and all that stuff. So this would be a long-term play for the Lions. Yep. And then, oh, by the way, in the short term, don't we think Joey Porter Jr. or Christian Gonzalez – is competing with Emmanuel Mosley? Is is maybe just taking Jeffrey Akuda's job right now? Is are one of them potentially better than Jeffrey Akuda, who is underachieved in his three years in the NFL? So I will defend you to the death, Sam. Great. That taking two of the top corners, if you're the Lions, is not redundant. You cannot be redundant at quarterback. You cannot be. Tactically, you need three or four to cover in a game. 
Strategically, you need three, four, or five to handle injuries and to handle, to mitigate risk, the fact that they might not be that good. If the Lions doubled up a corner and they got not only Joey Porter Jr., but also Christian Gonzalez, David Blau's brother-in-law, with the team connection there, yes. I think that would be a massive, non-redundant win yeah. for the Lions. I mean, the thing is, even if, like, even if Akuda takes a massive step forward and finally justifies his draft status next year, he's a free agent. So you got to either... You're letting him walk. Yeah, Akuda, yeah. uh, in, in this scenario, I'm either, I'm letting him walk. I don't think anybody's going to trade for him. Well, you either let him walk or you have to pay him a giant amount of money coming off a contract year where he finally looked like the shutdown corner he was supposed to be. So either way, you, you would be smart to build in that level of contingency. And e- even if that happens, you still have at least one spot where you would quite like an upgrade at corner, right? Because you're not... I mean, Emmanuel Mosley's great in terms of you don't have to chase value, right? I don't have to go... I have to take a corner at six because if I don't, I'm screwed. You don't. You can start Emmanuel Mosley. Things will not be catastrophic. But if value matches, and I think it does in these situations, then you'd be smart to have an Emmanuel Mosley upgrade or replacement or alternative. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've said my piece. I think it makes sense if we go back to the way the Lions have built their team, right? Uh, in the trenches for a couple of years. They finally started to make some moves at receiver last year. They hit on an Amonra St. Brown, which was outstanding. Yep. And now we said for a while, you need to do a lot of work in the secondary. I love that they did short-term work in the secondary so mm-hmm. they don't have to force yes. cornerback picks. At the same time, the way this draft falls, if this is the cornerbacks that were available, plus they picked up extra picks the way they traded down, I think this is a home run for the Lions. I love your Lions mock draft. I think maybe more than anyone else. So I'm defending you, Sam. Sweet. Like it. Puts the Bucks up on the clock at 19. It does. Um, the Bucks at 19, I think, might have been interested in getting up for the C.J. Stroud thing. You know, if, when that started to happen, maybe they would have made some phone calls. I think it was just too far to go. Um, so I think Tampa Bay, they just need defensive line help at this point. Lucas Van Ness was my top defender on the board. Um, I think they bring him in. He adds that power. Uh, element to the game I think he can mesh with the players they already have on that defensive line and just help solidify the whole thing yeah Van Ness big power rusher could uh, play inside and out Um, the Bucs I mean the Bucs can go a million different ways now because they've you know post Tom Brady era They've got offensive line needs. They have yeah. defensive line needs. They, they After a couple of years of bringing the band back together after the Super Bowl, uh, there's a lot more holes on the roster. They still have some good, solid pieces. There's still a decent foundation there in Tampa Bay. But, yeah, quarterback has to be in play. Uh, replacing Donovan Smith at left tackle or replacing Tristan Wirfs at right tackle, whatever that might be. Uh, the Super Bowl team had much better defensive line depth, which has slowly been depleted. Plus, you have guys like Joe Tryon Shoyinka who maybe haven't hit like they should have. Mm-hmm. So Bucks can go any which way here. Yeah, and they've got, you know, Tryon Schenka hasn't become that player yet. Even if he, uh, again, takes a step forward, I feel like he's going to be a fairly one-dimensional player. Shaq Barrett is reaching that age and has had those injuries. We are a little bit concerned about what he can do going forward. So, yeah, I just think they have the space for it now. All right, that puts the Seahawks up. At pick 20, this is also one of your favorite picks in the draft, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think Jordan Addison to Seattle just makes a ton of sense. Look, I, whether or not you think he's the next um, the, the next Isaac Bruce, I, he's just good. He's good at everything. He can play inside and outside. He can win all levels of the defense. 
He is a great route runner. He understands uh, defenses, route concepts, how to set up DBs. He might have a limited ceiling because he's not the fastest guy in the world, because he's not the biggest guy in the world, and because he probably isn't going to be a contested catch monster at those size and dimensions. But Seattle already has DK Metcalf. Um, so they don't need like an all-world guy. They We've reached the point in the draft now, number 20 overall, where just being a good NFL wide receiver is worth that value. So I think it makes sense. Here's what's interesting, Sam. I just saw... Um just got pointed out to me our friend Jim Nagy who uh, was on the show last week mm -hmm. director of the senior bowl again I encourage people go listen to our Jim Nagy discussion uh, lots of great questions that I needed answered about the senior bowl process Jim Nagy former NFL scout a um, lot of great stuff on that show um, but he's basically saying hey I'm seeing four or five wideouts in mock drafts he's spoken to numerous teams per his tweet numerous teams that have only one first round grade at the position and that is JSN, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba. Um, I'm not surprised by this, Sam, that a lot of teams are not high on the wide receiver class, particularly at the top. Mm -hmm. uh, it reminds me again, 2018 draft class where we were debating guys like Calvin Ridley, Michael Gallup, James Washington, Cortland Sutton. There was one other, DJ Moore. I think those are the five yeah. that were like the consensus top five that year. And, it, and the joke that we made was like, can we just put all these guys at four? Right. And put them all at five. There's no true number one. Yeah. Calvin Ridley, I think, ended up being the first receiver off the board at 26. Yeah, same thing. I, and I, for the same reasons, I think. I mean, you, all the all the negatives that you hear about the top, I mean, we talk about it as a big three, right? Smith and Jigba, Addison, Quinton Johnston. All the negatives you hear about certainly the two of those guys, the first two, are things that the NFL doesn't like spending first-round picks on. Like if Smith and Jigba is just a slot receiver, the NFL doesn't like taking that in the first round. And that's like the one they're most certain on because of the certainty that we've been talking about. Addison's going to get talked about in that vein as well because he's tiny and slow. Yeah, so he, people are going to talk about him as a slot you could, receiver. You could shout Isaac Bruce all you want. They're <laughs> going to see 170 pounds in 4.55 and say, I don't want that in the first round. Yeah. Right. Quentin Johnston, I think the same concerns that we have watching the right. film. Yeah, he's big. Yeah, he's fast. We're a couple years removed from DK Metcalf, who's better. Bigger and faster going in the second yeah, round. Yeah, I mean, and AJ the, Brown going in the second round. Yeah, he's the different one where we're not complaining about. Well, he's a slot only. He's just a guy that isn't that great playing wide no, receiver. I'm talking about the overall yes. evaluation so of receivers. I People can, are going to look at Addison and Quentin Johnston, and I, honestly, I think the same concerns that we have with Zay Flowers. You know, is he the fourth best receiver in the draft per a lot of people? Yeah, is he near the top? Yeah, I mean, people are going to have the same concerns as a. He's a slot only for certain people. Right. Right, for certain teams. So I think, yes, I 100% I buy into the idea that there are going to be plenty of teams that do not have many, if any, first-round grades on this wide receiver class. Now, I think there's a difference between saying that and not spending a first-round pick on them because I think generally this feels like a draft where there aren't a ton of first-round grades, period, you know, across the board. Like, I think there are way more first-round picks than there are first-round grades on players available in this draft. And yet, you get to the back 10 picks of this draft, you got to pick somebody. So people are going to get selected that don't have first-round grades. But I think this is not a great wide receiver draft at the top, but I do like the depth. Like, once you get into the second round, there's a ton of guys that I love to bring in. Uh, not to respond to everybody in the chat, but somebody in the chat said, you guys were idiots for taking DK and AJ Solo. Learn from your mistakes. Gotcha. Well, we actually had them both uh, one and two in our receiver rankings and absolutely said they should be first-round picks. Had them in the first round.
quite a bit. Um, I'm just talking about the NFL as a whole. Um, the reason why I'm more inclined to take receivers and corners in the first round is because you need more of them. Right? I've made this statement before. You need more of them. There are three starters at each position. There's only two starting tackles. There's two starting edge defenders, right? These guys are starters. You need like a wide receiver two slash three in the first round isn't crazy to me because it is a starter. So receiver is also a position I think where you can hide the flaws more. Right. And therefore maximize the things they do well. So the value thing is it's I think you I think teams are still behind the curve of focusing on what a guy can't do, which for certain positions is important. When the guy has to be out there every single snap and what he can't do is actually really relevant to how good he's going to be right. is very different to playing a guy at receiver and saying, all right, he can't do this, so let's simply never ask him to do that. And let's maximize the fact that the thing he's good at is insane. And even if that means he can only play 500 snaps in a game and he can only play in the slot, if he's unstoppable in that role, who cares? The challenging thing, I think, is there is a good history of getting second-round wide receivers. Yeah. The NFL tends to value them there. Right. How do you balance the the analytics of we should wait at receiver versus, like, well, when you hit on a Debo Samuel, you end up having to pay him a ton of money a year early. Like, what if – like, you should have just taken Debo in the first. You should have just taken DK and A.J. Brown in the first. Anyway, you're going Addison in the first to complement Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and I think that's yep. a great way to maximize Geno Smith and his his uh, his production. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chargers at 21. They're up. <laughs> the, the Greek Trojan, an interesting name, in the chat says, uh, it's first time in the chat, but it feels like there's way too much positive reinforcement for the troll takes, probably why they keep posting. Effectively, we are the architect of our own trolling by referencing them all the time. Oh, I just respond to a couple things that stand out. <laughs> anyway, Chargers, number 21. So this is an interesting pick because this is one of those situations where uh, I don't love the player selected. Um, I ended up drafting Quinton Johnston for them, wide receiver from TCU, who we just talked about. Like, he was he's Renner's number one wide receiver in the draft. Renner loves this dude. There's graphics out there on the main PFF account where it's like, you know, wide receiver rankings over the past several years, right? And he has him ranked way above guys like Jerry Judy and people that are quite clearly better receivers than he is. Uh, but the, he loves him. Um, so when I first started watching wide receivers, he was the first guy I watched because he's number one on our draft board. And my initial reaction was like messaging Renner. I'm like, are you certain that the TCU wide receiver isn't in fact bad? Because he's just not that good playing wide receiver. But what's the one thing the Chargers offense really really wants speed man yeah. speed speed so and look you can say josh downs brings you that zay flowers brings you that i sure and i tank dell brings you that and look I, I thought about thought about tank dell at this spot here's where i thought i'm gonna play the game though because nobody else is as high on tank dell as i am i can get tank dell around later yeah you're understanding the board right. and the consensus board it's not so even though it's yeah. me as the other 31 GMs as well. Like, I know I can get Tank Dell later. I, I also think, man, you can – sorry to interrupt. But, like, I can convince myself Quentin Johnston for the Chargers. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That's the thing. All right, go ahead. So cover, it's like, cover Quentin yeah. Johnston and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Right. And Josh Palmer. It's like I don't love a lot of his game um, playing wide receiver. But I am willing to buy into the things that he's really good at. You know, a lot of that straight line speed stuff, a lot of the 
catch a hitch, turn up field, turn 10 yards into 30 yards, um, catch the quick slant or the shallow drag and just do something with that after the catch. And you already have Mike Williams to be your contested catch dude. You already have uh, a more well-rounded wide receiver in Keenan Allen. The deficiencies that he has, you've already got covered. What you need is the guy that can scare people with straight line speed. And even though his 40 time was relatively average, he showed up very well in the um, the tracking data speed. Like he clearly has vertical threat to him. So I like it. Good. Sorry, I'm in the middle of typing. Mm-hmm. Telling people, hey, I want to chop up my Lions. A little diatribe there where I defended you. Okay. Thought there was some good info in there. Yeah, I love Quentin Johnston here for the for the Chargers for the same reasons, right? Don't love the the player overall, but I can I can understand and I could I could see the fit here for the Los Angeles Chargers. That puts the Ravens on the clock here at 22. Still have Tyree Wilson in a in a free fall here. Yep. Because you're the GM. Yeah. Um, and it's going to continue because I'm going to select an edge rusher, but it's not going to be Tyree Wilson. Nolan Smith. The Georgia edge rusher, who is like the antithesis of Tyree Wilson in terms of size. Smaller guy, under 240 pounds, tiny, but is lightning quick, posted an insane workout at the Combine, um, is really productive on a per-snap basis. So you might look at their overall numbers and be like, well, Tyree Wilson's been a better pass rusher than Nolan Smith. But on a per-snap, per-rush basis, it's not really true. Um, Nolan Smith hasn't had the same volume of playtime necessarily because that Georgia defense is freaking loaded and they rotate through everybody, you know, like Jalen Carter. Remember the when um, when Jordan Davis was coming out? The guy had never had like a season with more than 350 snaps. And you're like, oh, clearly a guy that weighs like 400 pounds can't be trusted to be on the field for more than 350 snaps. You get tired. I mean, Jalen Carter has barely played more than Jordan Davis. Like no matter how good you are, Georgia is just so deep that they just rotate everybody constantly. So he hasn't had necessarily the, the full every down playing time, but has been a dynamo on the edge, really good against the run as well. I just think perfect Ravens player to me. Yeah, we do want to do our edge rankings uh, that might be pushed to next week. But uh, Nolan Smith, he's a tough one for me, man. I think there's a lot of data points that say, yes, he's coming off the injury. The fact that he's under 240 pounds, you know, that's uh, that works against him. What's the model say? The model likes doesn't love, but I think okay. there's ways to if you add in some missing data points, there's a you can get to love. We were saying, but the, then when uh, you adjust it for like, hey, this guy's like guys that are under 240, right? You know, maybe we can there's use a couple of those edges in the draft class. Uh, Nick Herbig from Wisconsin is going to yeah. be fascinating. Will McDonald from Iowa State. Maybe we could use my idea for the podcast instead of the uh, the draft show. You know, for you guys. Call oh, when it you do the picks, a family feud, right? Is that what it's called over here? Yeah. Uh, what the hell is it called in in the UK? Family something. It's not feud, but anyway, they their yes. thing was like, you know, you give your answer. It's like our survey says. And you look up the thing, and it's like. Eh, eh, a giant X comes across. I just yeah. think the, we should use that for the model. With the model, you know, Nolan Smith. The model says, ding, ding, ding. Right. And then either yeah. an eh, eh for Tyree Wilson or a bing. Well, you're going to get it. Your next pick, by the, that's a very Ravens pick, I think. The Nolan Smith selection at 22. Figure out what they have to do a quarterback. But Nolan Smith's a good solid choice. Family fortunes. That's what it's called in the UK. Oh, you guys are much kinder. Hmm. We feud over here. Feud. You know, in, inducing riots in between families. Uh, what? Who's on the clock next? Uh, this pick's going to get an uh, uh. Ah, yes. So, the Ravens select their edge rusher. That brings up the Minnesota Vikings at pick number 23, a spot where the Vikings, I think, would desperately love to trade down. 
um, as has been the case for, I think, several of these teams. Vikings, as we said last year, traded down a lot. Like, that's been a quasi thing. Let's, let's build up the draft picks. Let's take more swings. This is the first time, though, where I think they might have a trade partner. Kansas City, all the way down and pick number 31. The team trying to, you know, protect their position as prohibitive favorites in the NFL every single year. The presumptive starter as this is the Super Bowl team until somebody takes it away from them. Um, they bring in, they, they let both their tackles walk effectively. And they bring in one, they bring in uh, a guy in free agency to come in and flip him to the left side of the line, but whatever. Jawan Taylor. Yes, from Jacksonville. Pay him $20 million a year to do that. You still kind of have an open spot. And are you really comfortable going into the season with the options that you have at right tackle? Prince Tena Nwogu, right? That's going to be one of them. Um, Lucas Niang, Darian Kennard, the guy you drafted a year ago. Maybe there's a capable starter from that group. Are you certain of it? I'm not. So with this run on offensive linemen, they've been, they've been going. The left tackles are all gone. Darnell Wright from Tennessee is still sitting there, a guy that Renner shot up the board in the latest big board uh, uh, revision. Um, and a guy with right tackle experience, which is not that common amongst this group. I think Kansas City could easily look at that and say, this is worth the trade up. It's not going to cost us that much to jump this far. We're going to trade to 23. We're going to grab Darnell Wright. That's a model? The model says? Model doesn't like. Uh-uh. Model doesn't like Darnell Wright. I've had some oh, questions no. about Darnell Wright. Um, I like the film. I understand his, his head-to-head with Will Anderson was yeah. fantastic and all of that stuff. Because uh, because the model takes into account all four years. See, the, the model needs to, you know, accept that people grow. They do. People develop. Um, I will do some some tweaking the same way I did with Tyree Wilson. Yeah, I'll do some. Because that was you. Let, t- me, let me input just the last two years, mm. maybe, for Darnell Wright. Just or the just, last year. <laughs> but just like, just last year. Um, just like we've talked about one-year wonders at other positions, it's not a great hit rate for one-year wonder tackles. Hmm. Now, this is one of those, a little bit like Zay, where my uh, my heart's saying yes, though. You know, hmm. the film's saying yes. There's some explosive run-blocking yeah. uh, snaps from Darnell Wright. Um, but I also, I, I do trust the numbers a lot at offensive tackle. Like, a couple years ago, um, the Browns left tackle from Alabama. Why can't I remember his name right now? Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills. Um in hindsight here, the numbers hated him the most. Yeah. And of that group, he's been the worst. Uh, Makai sure. Becton got hurt, but that year was Andrew Thomas. Yep. It was uh, Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills. There was not a lot of numbers that said, yeah, he's the hit. I mean, the, the tackle numbers are interesting. Anyway, I will the say, move though, itself for the Chiefs. And the Alabama game against Will Anderson was really impressive. He didn't give up a single pressure against Georgia. Like, he, he had some legit tapes last year and looked really good doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of... Stupid model. Yeah. Things might... He might still be... Uh, he could be an outlier. He could be an outlier. It's just, uh, personally, I'm not going to go for those types of outliers. Well, that's Much fine. like the next guy. That's fine. No, no. The Chiefs, the Chiefs move is interesting. Go get a right tackle. A lot of people, when they talk about the Chiefs move, and it's like, go get a playmaker. Go get Zay hmm. Flowers. Go get these guys. But solidifying right tackle with Jawan uh, Taylor moving to left tackle... Uh- Seems like a realistic type of move here for the Chiefs. Yeah, I think these teams that are that have been in this sort of arms race to win a Super Bowl um, and stay in the position to win a Super Bowl, 
I think those are all sort of prime candidates to do something aggressive and trade up at the bottom end of this first round, you know, into this kind of position. So whether it's Kansas City, whether Cincinnati loves a guy and thinks that they can that that, that guy can put him over, um, you know, Buffalo, I think all those kind of teams that we anticipate being the contenders and the teams that need to sort of one up the other. I think they're all fairly live uh, threats to make a move like this happen. And in this draft, I thought Kansas City made the most sense. All right, that puts the Jags up at 24. Where are you going for Jacksonville? Oh, didn't like it. Didn't love it. But here's where I'm willing to take the gamble on Tyree Wilson. Um, honestly, in a vacuum, I'm not even sure I'd spend a first-round draft pick on Tyree Wilson. But we've, we've talked before. This is a world of... There's not 31 first-round grades, in my opinion, in this draft class. You're going to have to pick somebody. If you stay in this pick and you can't get back, you're going to have to draft somebody, and you're probably not going to have a first-round grade on them. So by definition, you're not going to get value. Um, I'm willing to run the risk, though, that I'm off and other people are right. There are people that think Tyree Wilson is the second or is the best edge rusher, rather, in this draft, ahead of Will Anderson. I think that's crazy, but... I don't have a strike rate of 100%. I'm not batting a 1,000, so I'm willing to take a look at the wisdom of the crowds and say, you know what? A lot of information says this is incredible value right now. And even if I don't necessarily think it is, I'm willing to say absent of glaring better options. And, you know, Bijan Robinson is the best player available by a mile, but I already have a good backfield. I don't need to bring him in. I don't think that that necessarily propels me forward in any direction. So absent that, do I think that there's a better bet in Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy, the wide receivers, you know, Michael Mayer, tight end, corner? I, not really. So I think I'm willing, to, I'm willing to be a little bit humble, to have a little bit of humility and say, maybe I'm not right on Tyree Wilson. And if I'm wrong and he's the guy, it's a jackpot pick. And you get to watch Tyree Wilson and Trayvon Walker develop with each other there. Um, so you're, you're calling you know, humility here. I'm taking this guy in the first round. People are going to say, well, you're crazy because he's going top seven, right? I mean, sure. that's what the answer is going to be. Um, but I think the, the, this is why this exercise is interesting, right? Because this is going to happen in draft rooms, right? Some draft rooms are going to have Tyree Wilson as like the third player on the board. And others might have him at 28, but you're never going to know it. You're never going to actually know. And then of the other hundreds of evaluators across the NFL, somebody like people put a third round grade on Zach Wilson a couple years ago. Would have been like, oh, you just you're just being different. You're just being crazy. You know, people are going to have second, thirds on Tyree Wilson. Don't touch. I love blue chip. They're going to have all these different grades on Tyree Wilson. The interesting thing here to me, getting him at 24 if you're the Jags, that's where I would have taken Trayvon Walker last year. I would have taken him <laughs> yeah. in the 20s, right? Like, that's where I want to take right. that guy that could hit, right? That could hit, that has this completely different body type that might buck the trend, that might, uh, you know, outproduce previous production numbers. I'll take that in the 20s. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely take that. Um, but I would rather let someone else take the top 10 gamble. You know what I mean? So if you're the Jags and this is available, I get it. Like, you... Uh, you have Josh Allen heading into his last year as an edge defender. Yeah. You do figure this out with Trayvon so, Walker and Tyree yeah, Wilson that, as well. I, last year, and also the fact that you have him should not prevent you making this kind of pick. Like, Josh Allen played 1,000 snaps last year. That's insane. He, he plays basically every single snap, you know, on one side of the line, and then Trayvon Walker is the guy they want doing it on the other side. I would much rather split up 2,000 snaps amongst three players and have each one of them playing 
you know, a little under 700 snaps. That's way better for an efficiency standpoint. So, again, if all three of them pan out, it's not redundant. You can, you should make that work. Like, it's better having three guys that you can distribute 2,000 snaps between than it is two, particularly when one of the two hasn't really shown that much yet. Yeah, I like it. I think it makes sense. I'm I'm far more willing to take the Tyree Wilson. Yeah, again, because you could you could talk yourself into last year was better and he's he's gotten better and he wasn't uh, his pass rush production in his final year was way better than Trayvon Walker's. Again, it just happened at like age 23, later in his career, that type of thing. So you could talk yourself into that's what he is now. That's mm-hmm. what he's going to do at the next level. I'd just rather take it in the 20s. Uh, Giants at 25. It's a copycat league here, Sam. Yes. And I am copycatting your draft pick because I liked it a lot. John Michael Schmitz, center from Minnesota. Um, again, Giants don't love the spot. We'll, you know, this is Write this down for every one of the remaining picks. Don't love the spot. Have to pick somebody. So if I'm picking somebody, maybe, maybe you can get – I thought about doing the same thing as the Tank Dell pick, right? Can I get John Michael Schmitz around later? Everyone is going to be lower on him than we are. I can probably get him later. But if you don't, I think there is a drop-off. We're talking about sort of three high-end centers in this draft, and they're kind of put together in a lump. I think John, Schme- John Michael Schmitz is better than the other remaining options. So I want to get that one, and I don't want to run the risk that, I, that he'll be there around later. So I'm snagging him now. Go listen to my explanation on last week's mock draft. Go check that out. I think I, I made the strong case for John Michael Schmitz. Um, Agree, you know, you could play the board and get him later, but I think this the value would be perfectly fine here, getting him at 25, starting center for the Giants. Uh, Dallas Cowboys at 26, Sam. Mm. Another pick. You know, you've got a few picks that you just like consistently across the board here, and this is this is one of them. Yeah, B. John Robinson. Makes sense. Here he is. It's the, uh, it's the Jerry Jones pick, but I like it as well. Like, I'm not... Uh, We've reached the point. I thought about it for Jacksonville. I decided it probably didn't move the needle enough for them. I, we're in this range now. We're absent of clear, great first-round options that I love. I'm willing to say this dude is special. Like, Bijan Robinson will move the needle more than a regular running back in any given first round will, and particularly when the situation is already good. Like, I don't have, I don't have to do – what the Steelers tried to ask of Najee Harris, which is our running game is not functioning right now. Come in and fix it single-handedly. That's unreasonable. That's not going to work. If the running game's already good, now come in and just be the value add, like be the thing that adds more to the system than a random running back can. That is what I think he can do. And you bring him into this Dallas offense that's already kind of cooking, that's added receiver help, that should have a good offensive line, um, that has Tony Pollard coming off the injury, but clearly they like him more as a change-up guy than the true every-down workhorse. Either that or they simply refuse to ever back away from their bad decision of the, the Zeke Elliott contract. But, you know, that thunder and lightning combination again of Bijan, Tony Pollard, I just think for Dallas that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> this is Jerry. Jerry's over there twisting your arm in the room too. It's like we Jerry got- definitely likes it, but I'm on... Yeah. I'm on I'm, look... Myself and Jerry relate, you know, as a billionaire and a man who has an intimate uh, connection with the mind of a billionaire. We're on the same wavelength there. You can see this happening. I'm huh? going to get Bijan, then I'm going to give him a very dark visor so I don't blind him the first time he plays in our in our stadium in in, in September. You know they'll trade up to get him before. No, he's good. I'm, I'm Jerry might. I'm going to have patience. 
Jerry, okay. So you're going to have patience. Mm -hmm. So you're good with Bijan at this point. Yeah. And I think, look, at this point, it's value. Like, he might be the best player in the draft as a pure all positions created equal big board. If you said, who is the most talented football player in this draft? It's Bijan Robinson. It's um, Jalen Carter. That's probably your either or. So you're talking about a guy that should be one on a big board if value didn't have anything to do with it. He's already slipped to 26 because value does have something to do with it. But at this point, I, I don't have a bunch of options. Like the, the gap between him, this is, where, this is the debate, right, that we had with Rick Spielman or whoever else we talked to about player value. This is the conversation. It's I have a dude who's a blue chip, who's maybe number one on, a, on an abstract big board versus other positions that are way more valuable. And now I've let him slip to 26 and I've got like edge four, whatever we're at. You know, I've got wide receiver three in a, gr- a group that isn't good or wide receiver four rather in a group that isn't good. I've got cornerback, what, four or five. Like it, that's the conversation, right? It's how far down this list of guys that I don't love but are at more valuable positions do you go before you say this is the best value? Like it just, it is. All fair, man. Bijan. Yeah. You would take him over a starting tight end. You would take him over a, you know, a good tight end, a good linebacker, so if a Kin- good yeah. other position. If Kincaid was here, I would take Kincaid over um, over Bijan. But but he isn't. Mayer's the tight end, and I don't love Mayer. I don't love what he does enough to make that switch. So I think, again, that's the conversation. Like, it's where in that list does he slot before you think the running back makes more sense. All right, man. Cowboys 26. I think that is realistic. I mean, I think the league has uh, has caught on enough that you don't want to you don't want to take running backs in the top 15. I think he still could go second half of the first round. Any point, maybe this yeah. is lower than where he goes on draft night. But there'll be somebody in the teens or the 20s. I think that takes B. John Robinson. Some mm-hmm. team will. Bills at 27. Where are you going here for Buffalo? Ah, so cornerback. Um, <clears throat> another corner. Yes. And it won't be the corner most people are expecting, I wouldn't think. I went Wait, with... Wait, who's left on the board here? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, who's can't... the corner people might be expecting? Hang on, let me get this by No, position. Cam Smith. You're going Cam So, Emmanuel Forbes is still on the board. Uh, your guy, Tyreek Stevenson, is still on the board. It, I mean, it's Emmanuel Turner, or Emmanuel Forbes, rather, is the guy that people would be expecting. Forbes is slightly higher, I think, than Cam Smith and consensus. They're close, though. But I went with Cam Smith. Yeah, uh, I think Cam Smith, he's my next corner available in terms of ability. I, I think that guy could be really good at the next level. Like, he's got the complete package to put together. Um, I absolutely think he's worth a you know low first-round pick for a team like Buffalo. Again, Buffalo might be interested in trading up to other spots, but if this is how the board I, felt, I don't think there's anything wrong with Cam Smith at 27. I haven't watched an NFL draft in many years because I'm, you know, we're live, you know, we're covering the draft, right? But I am, uh, I am <clears throat> hosting your draft mock draft here, like uh, Chris Berman would for ESPN. Okay, you'd be like mid conversation about something, he'd be like, it'd be like the Bills could go running back here, and then he, and he'd be like, the other thing they could do is maybe cornerback, maybe uh, I don't know, like South Carolina guys, you know, maybe. Uh, I don't. Maybe Kim Smith could be the pick here. Let's go. Uh, let's go to the commissioner and find out. With the 27th pick, the Buffalo Bills select cornerback Cam Smith, South Carolina. Wow, it's a big surprise. Hmm. Got it in my ear. That's how I'm handling this. I'm like giving the answers as we talk through it here. Yeah, I like Cam Smith for the fit for Buffalo. I like that. Yeah, 
like that. Even though they went they went Kair Elam last year in the first round. They did. You have Tredavious White. You have Teron Johnson. Is this overkill at cornerback? I don't think it's overkill. I mean, so, you know, Kair Elam couldn't crack the starting lineup last year outside of injuries. I mean, he was behind uh, Christian Benford, the other rookie, the sixth-round rookie. So can Kair Elam develop? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's all about – a team like Buffalo expects, again, to be contending. You need as many options and as much contingency. That secondary got beat to hell last year, and they really could have used somebody like that. So is it overkill? I mean, it's getting towards that, but I don't hate it for the position value. I think that's a, an important position. It insulates you against some of these injuries again. And, I, you know, again, what are your alternatives, right? Would they like a linebacker to pair next to Matt Milano? Sure. Do you see one that you would love at this spot? not really would they love defensive line uh, particularly on the interior absolutely do you see an interior defensive line that you would want to take in the 20s in this draft no Kalijah Kansi's already gone I uh, you know offensive line eh, maybe I just you know you're you're not in a tough you're not in a great spot here which is why I think that their potential you know trade-up candidate all right that puts the Bengals up on the clock at number 28 they're one of the teams I feel like personally I've been locked into just a couple players, but there's a, there's a few different ways the Bengals could go here depending on how you're trying to future-proof the roster with uh, Joe Burrow and the receivers ready to get paid. Where are you going here for the Bengals at 28? Bengals, I think, will go in this situation with Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame. Just makes a ton of sense for them. Like That's a spot, again, where I think value and uh, need does kind of match up. I don't love Mayer, but I'm I think he's worth a first-round pick somewhere at the back end. And, yeah, if they can snag um, if they can snag him at this spot, I think that's great for them. Yeah, I mean, I think Mayer could be really productive if you have those outside options, right? When you have Jamar Chase, you have T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, whatever the future looks like for the Bengals. And I guess every time I'm thinking of Cincinnati, I'm thinking like two to three years in advance here. I'm trying to think of what the, what the future looks like if you can't pay everybody – or whatever it might be. So th to me, a lot of their picks have to be centered around that. Will If they do have to spend so much money on Burrow and two receivers, is it is it Trey Hendrickson insurance that you need? Is it more corner insurance that you need? Is it just, all right, we, we're only going to compete with the Chiefs if we are elite on offense, and we will we'll make sure that that offense always has options. Is it more offensive line help, right? To me, the Bengals always have these, they have all these different ways that they can go. I like Mayer a lot. I like him as a player. I do like the value here as far as the fit. I, I love the way he works the middle of the field. And I think he's the type of player that gives you different ways of winning in the pass game when you're still you're going to rely on your big two. But there's going to be some games where just like TJ Hawkinson took over for the Vikings in certain games, you could I could see that with Mayer in, in games for the Bengals. So I, you know, I like that a lot as a pick. Yeah, um, I think you could think corner as well. Like Forbes would make some sense there. I like the corner and the wide receiver group more in the second round generally. So if you're starting to reach a point where the guys that, that are high on your list have already gone, I think I would wait, particularly if you have somebody like Mayer who fits a need and is you know one of the best players in his position. I think that makes more sense for Cincy. All right, just a few more picks left to get the Saints up on the clock here at 29. They have not traded up. No at this point because me in charge I'm not doing it you're not doing um, it Miles Murphy though edge rusher from Clemson we talked about him a little bit before he's got that sort of prototypical um, traits type of thing so this is like he's a New Orleans pick because they're they're big fans of the traits type of stuff obviously it's me as the GM 
I think it makes sense anyway. Like at this point, he I, I like the traits as well. I think his production has been okay. Uh, he comes in and replaces what they lost in Davenport. That defensive line needs significant influx of talent anyway. Do you love sort of other alternative options along the defensive line more than him? No. I, I, a spot where I don't love the value, but I think it's good. There are elements of his game that remind me a little bit of Marcus Davenport. I don't know if he's got the most polished pass rush move set, but he's just powerful. Yeah. 275 with just power. Uh, he might be a better run defender than pass rusher. I think uh, the edge class, I think people are high on the edge class, and I'm, I don't know if I'm as consistently high on the edge class. I think there'll be a bunch of good players, maybe not great. I think Murphy's got a chance to be safe, good, whatever it might be, however you want to lay that out. So I like this pick for the Saints at 29, value-wise. I've seen Murphy all over the place, man. Yeah. He's, he's been top 10 at one point. He's been in the 20s. I don't know where his stock's going to end up, but if he ends up at like, back end of the first round, I'd be thrilled, I think, with Miles. Definitely, Murphy. yeah. He's he's another one of those players, I think, where I don't think I would have a first-round grade on him, but if you're picking at this spot, you don't, there's nobody left with a first-round grade, so I'm happy with this value. Eagles back up on the clock now at pick 30. So already went uh, Brian Branch, the versatile safety and nickel mm -hmm. at pick 10. Where are you going here? Pick 30 for the Eagles. We're going to keep adding to the defense. Um, I'm going to go with Jack Campbell, the linebacker from Iowa. I think that gives you some flexibility in terms of N'Kobe Dean. Uh, they, they lost multiple linebackers in that defense in the offseason. Now line, uh, the Jack Campbell comes in with this prototypical 6'5", 250-pound frame with uh, a lot of skills to the table versus N'Kobe Dean, who's, you know, what, 6'1", 217 or something like that. Um, I just think that gives you now more flexibility to be able to put both those guys in the right spot within your defense rather than shoehorning N'Kobe Dean into where you need him most. I, used ha I was trying to use hashtag vault me in a tweet, and it had a little typo in there. That's what happens when you're trying to tweet here in the podcast. Well done. You don't have to talk me into Jack Campbell. Right. Take him late first. Love Jack Campbell. Love the fit for Buffalo at 27. Eagles. Um, so a lot of people got into the group think of uh, just trench players for the Eagles, and you said, nope, we're going uh, yeah. hypothetical lower value positions, hypothetically a safety and a linebacker. But I think you're also getting, much like the Ravens last year, two starters, right? You're getting two very good starter, uh, two two players with very good starting potential. Yeah, and I still absolutely want to add some defensive linemen to this team, but you know, didn't see the value where they were picking, and I think there's depth in those spots, particularly at edge, so they can come back, you know, at the, the bottom of the second round, right, uh, and do that, or you know, that's probably as late as you would want to do that and get a, an impact player, but I think they can get a guy at like 62, I think is where they pick and still have him be part of that rotation. All right, wrap it up, man. The Vikings have traded down from 23 to 31, so the Vikings are now picking at pick 31. Last pick of the first round. Where are you going? Brian Brzee, the, the defensive um, tackle from Clemson, uh, Miles Murphy's teammate. He's a guy that's going to be slipping, I think, down this draft. I think there are reasons to be concerned um, for, uh, about his production, about his overall um, play, but I think there's some reasons for that that are reasonable. And he could end up being a better uh, NFL player than he was a college player. Again, like in this world where nobody's left with a first-round grade, I think this is a gamble worth taking. Yeah, I perceive an interesting prospect. Again, I'm not – the production's like uh, kind of hit or miss. 
you could see the potential there as a pass rusher. He's very high cut as a defensive tackle. Two years of the pass rushing grade above 80, but only just above 80. Yeah. Um, a lot of sort of missed time through a variety of different reasons. I, 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 there's a lot of potential. He was a really high recruit, right? Yeah, he, he's one of those guys, like if he went back to school, and he, you know, you could see him putting up a 90 pass rushing grade this year and being a top five pick next year type right. of thing, right? So you're getting him a year earlier in his development just because he's only played 900-something snaps in his career. Are you actually getting him a year early? It's kind of like the Gregory, Gregory Rousseau pick a couple of years ago with the Bills where he opted out. You didn't get to see his final season, but it probably would have been really productive, and he probably would have been a top 10 pick after then. After I, that season, but I, because, but the data itself wasn't screaming, hey, go get this guy. And I don't want to turn this into like, you know, ESPN's draft coverage where all they did is focus on family matters and, you know, incredibly inappropriate things. But his younger sister died like during a season. And I have no earthly idea what kind of impact that makes on a guy. But it yep. can't be good. You know, it can only have been a bad thing. So whatever impact you want to put on that as something he had to deal with and battle through and, you know, get past on a personal level, you know, I think you can absolutely make an argument that that affected the guy's play. And, and again, there's higher potential than we have seen realized so far. I think this is cleaner value too. Perceive as a guy, again, I think a million people got top 10, top 15 hype at some point in the draft process. I think him landing in the 25 to 50 range is probably the the right spot for Perceive. And uh, yeah, it makes sense for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. So that's it, man. First round mock. It's over at pff.com. Any other uh, – who's left? Do we have uh, – we don't have a who's left here. Will McDonald. Was Is there anybody that, that you were that you were itching to get into the first round that um, you just did or that you were considering? Yeah, I wanted to try and find a spot for Dewan Jones, the behemoth yeah. right tackle from Ohio State. <clears throat> Couldn't really make it happen. Uh, people are going to want to see Zay Flowers in there. I'm comfortable with him falling out of the first round, particularly when you add in the the stuff that Jim Nagy was talking about, that the NFL generally is lower on this receiving group. I think they should be, and I am lower on Zay Flowers and other people. Uh, the Tyree Wilson slip was stopped. The Christian Gonzalez slip to the middle of the first round was stopped. So yeah, I think that's probably the guys that we need to talk about in terms of falling, right? Nobody else glaring omission I don't have everything in front of me but yeah that sounds right good draft good mock draft I probably didn't uh, push back on you enough probably didn't challenge you enough no but I agreed with some things mm. the Lions thing in particular I stand by well that's the, the thing Lions. people are going to hate the most that's the thing that the people the, and uh, the Howie fans for Philadelphia already already tearing you apart well they don't like even when they do the things that ha- you know the things that Howie would do are the things they hate the most like what if you- last year we mocked a trade for AJ Brown and picking Jordan Davis they would hate that probably probably yeah anyway um they hated Jalen Hurts here's the deal is it enough time to do our draft bet show tomorrow yeah is this enough time we've already had emails come in we've had three emails already since okay great doing this. get your emails in <coughs> right now uh, NFL podcast at pff.com. You can tweet at us if you really want to. Um, try to tweet at uh, PFF NFL pod yeah. on Twitter. Oh, frankly, it would be easier if you emailed and put, you know, draft bet. It would be easier to email, but I want people to follow us at PFF NFL That'd pod be great. on Twitter. But email is the best way to get it. NFL podcast at pff.com. Um, so this was just a little history here, by the way. Back uh, 2012, I ran a draft site for a year hmm. and we started something called vault me right it was called draft hub and we had hashtag vault me which that was the hashtag that i just miss uh 
Misused, yeah. Misspelled. The vault me hashtag is still going. That was for people to just say, hey, I believe this player is a top 10 player. I believe this will be the best player in the draft, whatever it is. And you'd say vault me. This was your way of saying, put it in the vault. It's happening. We're gonna, we'll revisit and we'll take a look at it. So this will be our version of doing that. We'll call it the PFF NFL podcast, vault me or something like that. I think draft bets, it's not like what we did before the season where we firmly believe something's going to happen and you firmly believe it won't happen. This can be anything. We want your boldest takes. We want your, uh, you know, just put your name on the line. And if you told me your team will never do this, you tell me, you know, you say, our team will never do this. How we will never draft two non-trench yeah. players Everybody, or whatever it might be. We're in pre-draft mode. Everybody loves talking in absolutes. This will never happen. Zero percent chance, you know, 100% this team will do whatever if a guy's available. So, well, you know, put it out there. What will absolutely not happen Throw a bet out there, and if we like them, we'll accept them, and the winners will get a free PFF Plus subscription. Oh yeah, we're trying to we're trying to give stuff away here. Um, and then if you guys want to if you guys want to put your name on the line with some coffee or something like that, of course we're always willing <laughs> to take always take free coffee, always take coffee bets. So NFL Podcast at pff.com, uh, please let's do it. And then tomorrow we'll, we'll take some in the chat if, you know, if they come up if they're really strong. We'll get Walt can finally put his name on the line mm. on some stuff. Instead of telling us how stupid we are. So that's it. That's what we'll do. Yeah, there actually, there had better be a Walt bet in there at some point. Yeah, the, Walt, put your name of, on the line. The amount of stuff he's talked in the chat, and if yeah. there isn't a bet coming in from Walt, that's that's a disappointing lack of his own uh, confidence in his my, own convictions. My all-time favorite one is when somebody declared that Taco Charlton would never be the Dallas Cowboys pick in the first round. And he was. Yeah. Maybe he was right that he shouldn't have been. But he was predicting what the Cowboys were going to do, and he was wrong. Some dude on Twitter. All right, some dude on Twitter. Bring it. Bring all your best draft takes for tomorrow's PFF NFL podcast. I'll be in here tomorrow. We'll have Renner on Wednesday, and we got Dane Brugler coming out on Thursday. That's the week. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be something Friday. All right, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow for our uh, draft takes, draft bets show.